The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. everybody welcome to the coco nation show episode 353 how y'all doing how you doing we're here <clears throat> all right let's see who we got with us today in the upper left-hand corner we've got mark o and then next we got rick Uland. I took the early warning and took my mic off mute. Thank you. Good. And yours truly? Who the heck is that? Can't read the name <laughs> over there. Um, all right. Henry Gernhardt. Hi, folks. Welcome to the Coco Nation. My name's Henry. And today we're going to have a good time talking about things that jump in the night or in the daytime. <laughs> Let us see David Ooh. beat that. As long as I don't have eight legs. All right, next row, we've got Terry Stiggy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. And Dale Curtis Boyle. Yes, welcome to the show, everyone. Hey, round elbow. Welcome to the show, and don't get a cold like I have. It's not good. <laughs> and speaking of cold, Ken Waters. Hello, and welcome to the show. <laughs> oh, gee. That's more like a cold shoulder, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then we got Brian Weasler. Hello, welcome to the show. And Alan Murphy. Howdy, howdy, everyone. And Nick Morenti's not on the last row this time. No, no. G'day, everyone. And Grant Leedy. Hey, guys. And David Ladd. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm so glad you've joined us today, and I hope you enjoy the show. Oh, we got competition. Oh, <laughs> that, was only, right. that was only 10 and a half on the meter. All right. Last but not least, we got Jason Cocoman.biz. And how do I follow that up? But again, it's Saturday, unless you're in Australia, then it's Sunday. But it's time to follow your fun compass towards the Coco Nation. And just remember... You can't spell fun compass without letters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and in the chat, we got, first up, we got uh, Mikey and the right key, Mike Miller, uh, Tom Eric Gunderson, Mark Siegel, uh, Carrie Shug, 
and micro hobbyists and s penny and jim rye too is he yeah oh there he is that's because he's in he's green on blue and i can't see it (laughs) it vanishes on me (sighs) okay let's see first up today we have brian what you got to show us today Nothing. I just wanted to make it sound like I did. No, that's fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, in that case, uh, <laughs> moving on. The end of the show. Well, it's, it says to have a sense of humor, and I guess you got one. Oh yeah, I can laugh at myself. Anyway, uh, so yeah, we've been uh, talking about the, the deluxe here a lot lately. I just had to uh, take a little break from that, and got a few other things I wanted to kind of share that uh, I've gotten over the past couple months here. Uh, switch cameras and let's see here. There we are. <clears throat> is that going to focus? Try, we were trying something new there. Boy, that's not focusing at all, is it, guys? Ooh. Uh, no, that's probably because of, of, of the color that it is. Mm, I may have to go back to that wood grain. We were talking about this before the show. Oh, oh there, there, it there we go. You guys know what this is? I know some of you will. It's a box, project a box. box. It's a box with lights. With a little knobby it's on the front It's a 1960s That's a recent uh, thing. remote enticer. <laughs> You've been in contact with Paul Fiscarelli, haven't you? <laughs> yes, I have. Yep. So uh, there we go. This will probably give it a little uh, more. Give it away there a little bit. Uh, oh, so this is a Paul Fiscarelli's uh, um, uh, uh, the Coco joystick to USB box that he makes. And uh, well, this is the, on the other side. Okay. Yeah, this is the switch here. This turns. Uh, this is for the rapid fire. So you turn it on, and then you can just smash down on the butt, and it'll sit there and do the rapid fire for you. And you can increase the 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 speed of the rapid fire. The rate. The rate. There you go. Thank you. Uh, this shows. Uh, I think this. I can't remember what the, I can't remember what this switch here does. That switches. Be, oh, that switches like between the light. left and right. I think it's left and right joystick. Left and right. Oh, for the yeah. auto fire. Yep. Left or right. So. Um, I ordered one of these, but, uh, uh, I've been waiting and now he has a wait list for these, but I had ordered something else and he was getting ready to make more of these. And he had one of these rotary switches left. So he went out and threw this one together to complete my order. And I believe he's working on some more of these. I don't want to over, I don't want to promise for him, but, uh, I think he's trying are, to get Are some you going to tie done. Buck Owens now? Oh, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I bought this is because I do want to put together, I, um, I usually do the real hardware, but I do want to build a MAME box, and I wanted to kind of have a whole package together, um, and so I was going to include this with it. Plus, I wanted to be able to have one, I'll be quite honest, I wanted to have one at work. (laughs) 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 So I can, so on my breaks or my lunch hour, if I want to take a little uh, little break, I can uh, open up ECC and... uh, Play a little cocoa on, on the breaks, there, so. right? On break, yes, exactly. <laughs> on break, yes. But the the real reason my order was for this. You guys recognize this? Yep, keyboard adapter. Yep, this is his keyboard adapter that he uh, that he makes, and uh, he includes um, this block here. Whoops, there it goes. Well, it's really coming through white that you can mount. That has the screws here, so you can mount the board on on top of it to. Uh, to hold it, uh, to hold it in place there, and he, and he also includes the uh, the cords as well. But uh, again, I wanted to use this for because uh, I wanted to make a, a main box, but I wanted to use a, a real Coco keyboard on it. So cool. that's uh, 
that was kind of the direction. Boy, I think I might just get rid of this mat, you guys. What do you think? I don't yeah, think go toss yeah. it back on the grill. Yeah. Yeah, there. Yeah. Get it just right, and it focuses pretty good. But uh, yeah, anyway. there's not well, enough get, detail. Get a new camera. Yeah, I'm thinking it's having Ooh. to focus too far and take yeah, takes a while. Just, yeah. There we go. Ah, right back to the late 1970s. Excellent. There we go. <laughs> well, what's wrong with the late 70s? Don't we all feel more comfortable with that look anyway? <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with the late 70s? <laughs> that that is that is genuine simulated wood grain right there. That's yep. right. I tell you. Free meal example. We uh, we skipped nothing on this show here, but he has the uh, he has this little uh, um, plastic miler that's in here, and that's just to give it a little more space. So when you plug the cocoa keyboard in there, it just gives a little more backing behind it, so it gets good contact with the uh, with the edge connector. So yep, been waiting for a while to get one of those. So that was the first thing I wanted to share, um, and then um, Don uh, Don Barber in the uh, discord uh in the hardware channel was talking about um uh some boards that he was working on and uh exile in paradise can probably help me out a little bit with this one with a little more explaining but uh don barber was working on this uh um processor board that he made uh for the coco and he sells this you have to buy all the components but if you he does have some of these so this would be the uh AM9511. You're not probably not going to be able to read that very well, though. Uh, the, the chip there uh, that goes in here, but you have to you have to populate the rest of this with the other TTL circuits that are there. Um, Alan, can can you help me a little bit with the some of the functionality of how this might work? It's a hardware math coprocessor. So basically. The AMD 9511 would be in a cocoa, kind of the way that the old 8387 or 8487 math coprocessor would be on a PC. So you just feed it some, some math you want done, it cranks it and feeds it right back, all done, floating point, and what they call transcendental functions and all kinds of great stuff are handled within the chip in hardware. So Motorola had done a ROM version of a bunch of uh, large math functions, and that works pretty well. But this is like you know, an even more accelerated, even less spending CPU time on it than that. So you just say what the math you want done. This thing runs off and does it and then puts you the results on the bus. And the, uh, the the cocoa then can be focused on doing some other stuff, and this could be doing the uh... yeah. So you need some than... software written to take advantage of that. Correct. You do have to, uh, and there is some. So the fun part is, is that Don does a complete package. There is a basic extension that swaps out some of the built-in basic functions to use this chip rather than do all okay. the the coding. So that way existing software can take advantage of it. If it runs in basic. So, yeah, yeah you just yeah. use the basic functions after loading the, the the connector and your basic program doesn't have to change. It just gets faster math now. RTC in there? No. <laughs> no, that's uh, been suggested. Don knows better. He's been around here for a while. <laughs> so do we have any, do we have any problems with like, uh, floating point like when it's doing the floating point stuff is it do we have any compatibility issues or do do all the floating point routines just get completely replaced and updated 
I couldn't answer that. It looks like he hooks a bunch of them, but I'm not sure if it's all of them. The Apple II had a couple of card manufacturers had the exact same processor and they hooked basic also. Mm. But uh, one of the projects, I think, uh, Alan, weren't you looking at trying to do like some sort of like wireframe 3D yeah. type of? Uh... Yeah, that that that's my my primary interest in it is doing the calculations for the 3D position moves and line draws. Um, but uh, Henry, if you're interested, there is a GitHub for it. And uh, that includes the basic extension and how it works and everything. You can just knock yourself right through there. But mm. I know you're already thinking probably of how you hook this to your project. But anyway. Huh. So uh, can can we get that GitHub address in here somewhere, you think? Yeah, I'll dig it up. It's, act it's actually on the circuit board, but I'm typing it in off of my circuit board. <laughs> oh, okay. Because well, I have I one of these, too. <laughs> I don't have that much detail on what I'm seeing. So, yeah, you aren't going to yeah. type it in off the screen. So, yeah. <laughs> go, Mark, go, Mark. <laughs> yeah, the other thing isn't uh, those also um, on some arcade machines? Aren't those usually called like a the math box or something? Uh, something similar to it from AMD is. Yeah, what they what they used for the math box, at least like in Tempest and stuff, was a, a bit slice processor. Uh, it's the same idea, yes. Okay, so yeah, I, got, I picked up that, and while I was uh, ordering with him, I did pick up one of his. Uh, uh, he also sells this uh, USB. It's a, a uh, let's see, is this the one that's the wireless? No, I think this is just the uh, the, the USB board that he that he makes for the. Um, that he also makes there. And again, it's out on the GitHub there. Uh, the USB uh, to, uh, uh, was it the, uh, the R45? I get all, this, all these numbers turned around. 45. But it's one of his serial boards that he, uh, that he makes. The nice thing about this is that, uh, whoops, sorry about that, uh, uh, Rick there. <laughs> Did, did you take your take your medication there before I, we were talking about this before the show? Too. The, the shaky cam there, so uh, I won't I won't say what I suggested that maybe to take before the show. But, <laughs> but uh, I have some of these cases that I got from somebody. They're basically they're just the blanks. Don't even have the end cut out on them yet. But uh, they uh, the board fits beautifully in there. Screw holes line up and everything. So. So I have a case to, to drop it into. I'm just going to have to just going to have to notch this end out for for this end right here and slam it together. So, well, what exactly does this particular board do? <clears throat> uh, I'm going to lean on Robert again. Robert, do you, do you have a better explanation of this one? I always I'm yeah, it's pretty idea. straightforward idea. It's a USB adapter for like connecting to you know the Coco to something that needs USB. Um, but the, the trick that Don put in here is that it sits behind an interface that makes it look like the deluxe serial pack to the Coco side. So all of the deluxe uh, serial software that you have will talk through this thing as is, no changes needed. But what comes out of it is a USB rather than, uh, you know, RS-232 stuff. Yeah, we've okay. covered this before. 
Now, the this part one. I wasn't sure, wasn't, wasn't sure about is that it does have an option for an optional ROM. So could you create a program and put that on a ROM and dump it here and you could have it just auto-execute something from right there? Yes. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I have done for several people is uh, converted the Deluxe RS-232 pack to include HDB DOS for the RS-232 pack. So you could put HDB DOS on it. Oh, but even more important, we could put the special Deluxe R232 pack terminal program on USB. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, so, yeah, that should, uh, that should work out nice for this. Uh, let's see. What's the next thing that I had on my list here? Okay, so. Uh, Brian, real quick. Yeah. Yes, sir. Because that has a ROM socket on it. You can also put a real-time clock between the ROM and the socket. But anyway. There you go. Yeah, smart watch. <laughs> Under <laughs> your Deluxe 232 terminal program. I, I stepped what? up to that one, didn't I? Um, yes. So, so <laughs> Mr. Dave out there, he had uh, been working on a project. I haven't even taken out of the cellophane yet. But he uh, he had his uh, ROM board here that is a uh, burner. Let's just go ahead and take it out of the package right now. Sorry about the crinkle. It's like Christmas. Some people like the crinkle. <laughs> yeah. Chris Crinkle. What's up, Mark, Mark B., we're getting a request from Carrie in the uh, chat. He says, could you get rid of the board and make the image larger like you did last week, please? Just to make it a bit easier for them. Uh, okay. How's that? So, uh, Mr. Dave, he had this here. He, I'm trying to remember what game he said he included. A, he included a game on the on the board here in the zip socket, the ROM already. I can't remember which one that he uh, that he had on here, but um, uh, he had he had a few of these available, and I went ahead and picked one up. This uh, ROM burner that he had, along with the ROM in it. So, and he had this uh, included this case and everything. Yet to have to put it together, but uh, so he included that, and then with the package. He also uh, threw in a couple of his various 3D printed cases that he uh, um, that he has, and then also a whole handful of uh, different ROM boards. That he uh, that he's worked on over the years. So I'm guessing that that EEPROM burner there that actually runs from the Coco burns from the Coco. You don't need any external. Correct. Yep. So I'll probably have to put it into a either an older Coco or a uh, um, probably a ROM pack or a multi pack in order to uh, to get the voltage. Oh, it needs twelve volts. I'm going to guess it probably does. Yep. I haven't. I, I need to read up on a little bit more. I should have been a little more prepared on this one for for showing it. But uh, yeah. Okay. Then let's see here. Well, oh, I got speaking of multi packs. Again, something new. Uh, and I'm probably going to get this one wrong too. But um, Ed Snyder's. Oh, the Mega Mini. Yes. Oops. There we go. There we are. The Mega Mini with the um, zero uh, ports. The serial port on the side here. And doesn't it also have the um, audio? Uh, audio. Yep. Yeah, Thank it's you. got, yeah, what is it, the sound chip? It's got a really advanced one. It's like the sound uh, blaster. OPL3 Yamaha YMF262. 
262. There we go. So yeah, he had a, he had a couple of these available and this is one that I've been wanting to, I wanted to get this one as well from, from the products that he, uh, that he makes there. So it also has programmable interrupt lines. So you can actually tie virtual lines together. So you can get interrupts from any of the slots without having to select it manually, like the Tandy one. Not only that, but you can start your car with it. (laughs) (laughs) And of course you can always, the, uh, the dark side version. Ah, yeah, yes, he did. Uh, he's been doing this uh, this white uh, speckled uh, marbly look. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a kind of a grainy, sandy look to it. I, I kind of like it. Didn't show the fingerprints or anything on it, but uh, um, this is yeah. It's got I dual sixteen five fifty style ports, so they're buffered at I/O serial. So that was that's nice. And then lastly, we'll take one step back to retro. Versus the new, the new retro. I bought this from Henry. Uh, second, I got to reach. Oh, you got second. a correction from Dave in the chat too. Okay. He said that's just a bank switch capable ROM reader. You can burn the ROMs oh. on your own burner and then test in the cart oh, without removing the cartridge right. all the time, so it doesn't actually okay. burn ROMs. Okay, I misunderstood then. Okay, thank you. There, there you can burn it with that instead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the so Green Mountain made a lot of different boards there. Um, this is the, uh, the their color burner, and uh, he had this available out there. So kind of a different looking beast from the one like the the uh, uh, the other ones that I've seen. What I think is really kind of cool is the socket. So a lot of them have like a little zip socket, you know, where you flip the lever and it pinches the wires. This one here, I don't know if you can see it or not. These centers kind of, it kind of rocks up and down. So when you, when you you push, when you put the chip in there, it pushes this down and then the end pin spread this way, you know, clamping it in, clamping it in this way. So the pins, there's a, it closes the gap along this side and along this side, kind of clamping onto it. A little different Um, zip. Yep. This one here doesn't run off the voltage of the cocoa. It actually, you have to put oh, together. Yeah. That, you needed 36 volts or something. So, yeah. 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 So well, I'd give you 27. Wow. So you have to hook up three nine-volt batteries. These are in serial. <laughs> These are in serial to make, yeah. 27. Did he give you a free complimentary Shack battery card is my question. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. oh my those. goodness. <laughs> and it also has, a, he also had this, the software disk. I mean, that thing could burn some of the old ones. Yep. It could do some of the old ones there. Um, what I think is kind of interesting is you, if you notice this socket here with these uh, crisscross wires there. Let me uh, let me open up the manual, and this will make more sense. That's probably how you program the different chips. Correct. Or set it up to be able to run the different chips. Let's, mm-hmm. uh, let me find the page here. When dip switches just aren't sufficient. Right. And you need a matrix switch. Let's see here. So there now the, the downside <laughs> yeah. of it is is that he only had this one chip in the in the uh, in the package, though. But it would not be difficult. Well, just buy more of those uh, little sockets. Uh, yeah, those headers. Let me back up just a little bit. Oh, I'm going the wrong way, aren't I? Sorry, guys. There we go. Focus. Why? I wow, that's bad, isn't it? It's it's really having trouble today. Hello. <laughs> and when's that new camera show up? No. It's, 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 
What? Yeah, I can't wait to reveal your new camera. <laughs> yeah. This segment brought to you in blurry vision. 3D. One with manual focus would be nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying That's to think. Of what, why is this thing? Uh, I can't figure out why this thing's not focusing. Might have to take it to the car wash, Brian. Hold put your, your hand, hand flat in front of it. It can't. It yeah, can't put your hand up in, in front of the lens. Oh, no, Ooh, yeah, that's better-ish. I'm going to say unplug it, plug it back in. It's, yeah, it's give me one sure. second here, guys. Let me do this yeah. here. It has, it has gone can we have? Away. Can we have it more? Can we have it focus less? Yes, maybe less is more. Right. Hold on here. Okay. I thought maybe you put Vaseline on it, you know, to give that nice, you know, soft yeah. focus thing there that used to use in the magazines for models and stuff. Yeah, I'm not going to make a comment. Nope, nope. <laughs> there we go. It just needed to be rebooted. Yep. Jumper, so there we go. Jumpers, so Must this be is capable of programming the, uh, the, the 2716, the 2732, the 2764, which that one I've seen before, uh, the 27128, and also the uh, 60 or 68764, which I've also seen that one. And so, yeah, you just have to, uh, with the crisscross. And I think this one here, the, the one that came with it is for here, the, the uh, 27128, I believe. I'm trying to think what wire is different, what it looks oh, like. They, got, uh, they okay. got it circled. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at here because. That's the different wire. Yep, you're right. Instead of right there, it's right there. Um, it has the one additional going across right there then. So let's see here. Yeah, it's, mentioning it, it's mentioning in the manual there that you can actually have multiple ones of these and you just plug them and plug them as you need for different chips. Correct. Yep. So you that just swap sense. this. You just swap this. Uh, you just swap this out right here. Yeah, this this, this pops out right there. So you pop this out and you pop the other, whichever one in, and then you can program that chip there. I'm yeah, assuming he it says it's cheaper than switch based. Right. And uh, the uh, well, considering that it would need a matrix switch, I would imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so well, cool. I've been uh, been kind of into the uh, the whole old ROMs thing here with the uh, with the deluxes. Kind of got me. Got, it's been kind of I fun work with all that. Never ever seen that that ZIF style socket before. That is. Yeah, I haven't seen that before either. Yeah, this is different. I thought I looked at that. And I was like, "What's that?" And then I realized that uh, this yeah. kind of uh, it's an any. <laughs> yep. So. So yeah, I haven't had a chance to try it out yet, but um, should be fun. And for those who don't know, this is uh, Dennis Bathory Kits we had on the show several years back. That made this the Green Mountain. Yeah, they made they made several different things. Didn't they make a lower kit? Was another lower kit? Um, Color uh, Quaver software program for doing four voice music. Yep. So that's all I have to show today, gentlemen. I just oh, uh, a couple some okay. different hardware options there. So I must say I do like that socket. I've never seen it before either. Yeah, it is kind of it is kind of cool. I do. Uh, I don't know if I dare. Don't want to play with the camera too much there, but uh, yeah, I like the idea of the nine volt batteries. But I'm trying to think out of a way that I could do this without having to do the nine volt battery. But uh, well, twenty seven uh, volt power supply. Yeah, there you go. Yep, and then to, just drop. <laughs> Well, I mean, I didn't really want to desolder it, so I was trying to figure out a way I could. Uh, I was thinking if there's some way, since it isn't series, if I could, you know, clip something, make something I could clip onto this here, you know, where I could mm -hmm. maybe 
you'll if I can figure out what clips, you'll need two clips to pick up the very first of the ground side and the very end of the hot side. And that's all you need. So you'll need two battery clips, your power supply, and then you don't need to rewire anything. But, but I'm going to have, yeah, I have to, but this and the is, middle uh, one just doesn't do anything. So, but if, it's, term, but if it's in a series, I may have to put something across one of them to. No, no, no. You just need to clip the, the ground side of one clip and the hot side of another clip and the clip in the middle you ignore. That way you're just subjecting just, it to the each end. Yeah, and to each of end the of the series string. And you you figure it out if you draw it on a piece of paper. It just takes a second. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because well, yeah, because I was to join those together, that would actually probably short it out, and that wouldn't work right then. So, okay, I see what you're saying. So, but yeah, it can be done easily, and won't harm anything. So, good. I was also thinking if there's a way, because there's no holes on it. You know, how could I maybe uh, encapsulate that into one of these cases that I have? You know, but, but uh, how does how does that? I guess with the personality module, because you got 27 volts going in there, which is only good for some chips, but then you're going to need 21 volts and others need 12. So and that all runs there... through the personality module with all the wires. Some of them they don't must exist. have a divider network in there somewhere to oh. cut that 27 down. Oh, well, we mm. don't see it on the, I'm not sure because the, this looks like, um, Oh yeah. We'll, we'll this, have to review here. the board here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's some talk it's... about the battery on the second page. You're showing up the manual. I don't know if that mentions anything about that voltage stuff, but. Says so the battery. Oh, okay. Connect two batteries. We leave the third unconnected until the EEPROM has been uh, selected. You got it, Mark. Two batteries for some chips, and then the third battery for some chips. Uh, where are you see seeing that? Well, for the, the battery clips, they're saying connect to until you until you're ready to actually program. So oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Brian, is there a schematic at the back of the book? Yes, there is. And Dennis is around, too. You guys can ask him oh, on well, Facebook. Let's go look at it. Does, questions. Let's see how he's got the three batteries wired up in the schematic in the back of the book. That's that's all we need to know. I'm guessing this manual's not on the archive yet? Uh, not sure. Well, we go down that. a rabbit hole. No, this is cool. Done. <laughs> That's what our show is famous for. That's what we're supposed to do. You have a list of things you need to scan. Yes. No drawing uh, of the circuit. Uh, we've been short. Oh yeah, he's got every single piece. It's got to be got the code. We got the codes. We got the pinouts. All right. I'm almost. I'm almost positive that I saw it. Give me a second here. It does exist. It has to exist. We've got hours to go. Come on. Right? <laughs> Let's see here. Yeah. Uh, well, there's boards. Okay, well, yeah. he's got pictures of the board. The schematic's in there. Oh, the fold-outs. It's hidden in the fold-outs. I'm almost positive I saw it. Yeah, no, a couple pages. There's a couple pages that are too long and they're folded in. Oh, there, ah, there we go. So now where's the battery connector? What has he done? Right down here. Oh, yeah, they're just three in a row. So, yeah, what we were saying. 
They're just three clips in a row. So just catch the right. most of one clip and the right most of the right clip. So yeah. is there somewhere that takes that 27 volts? All right, go shift over to the right a little bit. It just says a, it goes to a plus 27. So yeah. Right. Plus. But that's going to, okay, there's your divider network right there. It's programmable. Oh, okay. It comes off and that then, uh, PIA and that way it divides down. See the, you got the Zeners. Okay. So yeah. It's the dividing down uh, the 27 volts down to what the chip really needs. Beauty. On the VPP there. And that's controlled by those little wires on those little uh, modules. There's, there's four Wire. bits on the, uh, on that PIA. Oh, so it's programmably done. Right. It's not through. Yeah. Yep. It's not through the yeah, so the module. 27 volts are, is here and it's coming into this network here. And then, like you said, these Zener diodes. And then like Mark was saying, these four outputs turn uh, using the 7406 is turning these different uh, transistors mm -hmm. on going through yeah. the divider network right here. And then, and then here it's going into the socket. So here's the 16 pin socket. So here's the, the VPP coming in. So this is your programming voltage right here. Yeah. So that way you can here. select the different voltages depending on the chip. Right. It's done under software. software control, which is pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Well, you don't want bugs in that software. <laughs> you fry a chip pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. well, that's why he's saying don't put the batteries in until you're up and running and everything's smooth. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but uh, back to my original question that we talked about. Yeah, we could uh, basically yeah. put a wire, you know, connect here, connect here, put 27 volts in, and then it'll take care of the rest. Exactly. Yeah, so some some sort of a, uh, you could probably get away with a twenty four volt power supply. I'm thinking, because mm -hmm. didn't uh, the chips need twenty one? I don't recall if there's one that actually needed twenty seven, but okay. I'm thinking twenty one was a popular voltage. Well, so Peter Wheel in the chat mentions that the uh, manual is already on the archive, so that'll save you a bit of time. Yep, there we go. Okay, so 25, so you need something that's over 25 then. Yeah, so 27 is good. There we go. But then you could go a little hot, right? So. <laughs> so. Okay. Okay. And I guess, uh, I guess Marco had to split. Yep. Okay. Yeah, he said he had a hard out. So yeah, well, I guess we should yep. maybe should have got him first then. Mm. Dang it. Oh, I didn't know he's out within half an hour. I thought it was an hour. He said, <clears throat> "No, he's he literally said he had had a hard out." So no, I know, but yep. I thought the hard out was an hour, not half an hour. I must have must have missed, uh, misunderstood or misheard. Yep. All right. Um, any other project updates, please? <laughs> Looks like Tim uh, Lindner just updated the wiki, I think, on the deluxe. I don't know what he added to it, but. Hopefully, maybe next week or the week after, we can show a few more things with the deluxe that's been discovered. Yeah, okay. there's some stuff that's kind of a work in progress as we're still figuring out bits. <clears throat> and we still have to figure out what those extra bits on that option control register are that are not documented on Robert Kill because it's a little cheat sheet. 
All right. Well, we're ready for uh, first break and then the game on. Sure, if Ken's awake by then. Ooh, I heard that, Dave. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> Hey, Amy. It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo, and joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like this should have been longer. The Coco Nation show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gayer, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Karen Ascom, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, David Ladd, Derek Smithson, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Wabke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Kevin Holloway, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Binman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, TJB Chris, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., and William A. Thing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Fabio MSX says, I am Fabio from Brazil. I'm interested in the MC68XX and HD63XX world, the Tandy color computer family including the MC10, Dragon, Alice and SBCs, their operating systems, applications, utilities and compilers and their programming. I like to program in basic and assembly. Thomas says, hello. I'm Thomas S. from Santa Clara, California, Point Roberts, Washington, Atlanta, Georgia, Marquette, Michigan, Lakeland, Florida. I'm creating a Wi-Fi and network boot card for Coco called CoPyCo. CoPyCo-project.github.io Eric J says, Hello everyone, I am Eric R., participant at Kansas Fest, VCF East, and Kennet Classic. I have a Coco 1 and Coco 2 with Coco SDC. I recently got Lyra to play MIDI through the Bitbanger port and am enjoying exploring the Coco software archive. I also want to learn some 6809 assembly and more about the machine architecture. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Micro Hobbyist Frederick, Paul Fiscarelli, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord!
Welcome everybody to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Desert Rider. We had a total of 22 players. And they were Henry with 12,240, Mark B, 14338, Mr. Dave, 6309, 19870, Damon Beals, 21,174, C. Jim Rye, 24449, Sloopy Malibu, 24793, Porta Coco, 25219, Coconut Bob, 28819, Shenley, 30057, Canadian Retro Things, 32001, Ed Rhodes, 41404, Sabhead, 43141, Mike, 49227, Nerf Herder, 56,284, Tasman, 60,538, and this week's number one score goes to Dr. Ted with 71,553. Thanks everybody that played. We'll see you again next week. And the Coco Nation salutes Dr. Ted. Salute. Salute. We're gonna have and to I, make him his own bumper because he's just cleaning up on the yeah, uh, he games. Needs a bumper. <laughs> he's he's dethroning. Uh, we still haven't even done a Tasman bumper yet. Yeah, I know. yeah. Gee, get Move on, on it, Mark. <laughs> and I realize I also forgot to re-record the uh, um, uh, patrons uh, adding um, um, Frederick Sigard to it. He's on he's on the crawl up on the top there, but I forgot to add him to the All uh, right, that's that's it, Mark. Enough yeah. of this. We're docking your pay. <laughs> I know, I just kind of forgot to do that. Yeah, wage freeze now. <laughs> Gotta get it divided by zero error. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so oddly enough for uh Desert Rider, um I couldn't find any reviews in the magazines for it. Curtis, did you know of any or oh, I'm trying to think. So I didn't see anything on your lists there, so. Yeah, and also with the icepeople.net that did some Coco game reviews online. I can't remember if he did one or not, though. I'll have to check afterwards. Actually, maybe anyway. while you're yammering here, I can check now. Yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> uh, yeah, so there was no reviews, but uh, a pretty decent game. Um I don't know. Does anybody have it? We had quite a good turnout this week. So uh, does anybody have anything to that they want to say about the game? Come on, people. I could get to level two. Woohoo! So <laughs> Mark has seen a level two. That's that is That's a right. momentous occasion. It's a very rare thing. <laughs> um, I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the game. I had a hard time kind of mastering the the jump thing, but uh, I don't know if a lot of people really took advantage of that or not. I didn't really when I was playing. I mostly just uh, tried to avoid stuff, and if I was anywhere close to hitting it, then I jumped. But I 
did more of a avoidance rather than trying to jump things. I find that uh, on the curves, you didn't really have to work at it quite so hard because it would go around the curves on its own a bit. You just kind of had to guide a little bit as opposed to turning hard into the corners. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what else. What else to say? Oh, there we go. Um, where's that from? Color computer. It's from IcePeople.net. He did Coca reviews quite a long time ago, and then he he ended up moving to Alaska or something. Well, for no ten years, is- and he just got back into the Coca recently. So I don't think he's done any updates yet. But a couple of us that have uh, known about him for you know the last decade or so have kind of suggested you should get back in your reviews. There's a lot of new games to try out and stuff too. So he's he's thinking about it. But he's got reviews, uh, several pages of reviews here of Coco 1 and 2, and even some Coco 3 games, too. But, uh, yeah, he does have a, a review of Desert Rider here. I don't know if you want to read it out for the audio listeners or not, but... Okay, uh, <clears throat> this game is a test drive of a couple of... Okay, this game is... This is based on a test drive of a couple of games. It appears to be a pole position type of game where you can also jump to avoid the cars, potholes, and other road obstacles. Instead of beating a time, you get a limited number of crashes before the game ends. I suspect a lot of people thought uh, bought this because it was one of Steve Bjork's games sold through Radio Shack. It's a comp- competent racer, but lags just a bit behind better games such as Speed Racer and Pit Stop 2. The latter was also sold at Radio Shack. Hopefully most customers opted for it instead. Everything moves along nicely, the simple controls work well, the graphics are pretty good, and the jump element saved my life more than once. Mostly my reservation is the other games I've mentioned have better graphics. Features such as multiple tracks and or pit stops, driver realism, etc. I suspect I'd probably have seen a demo of this running at Radio Shack and taken a pass as a youth, since I already had better stuff waiting at home. Still, those who bought it certainly don't need to feel ashamed or cheated. Yeah, and he gave it a B minus rating. Now, I would disagree with him on one thing here. It, this does have multiple tracks. I mean, the background doesn't change much as the two yeah. know, simple buildings, but the layout know, of the track does the, change. Yeah, like the later tracks have much more hairpin turns and stuff like that. So it's you do get different tracks. Yeah. So is this picture kind of the artifacted colors that you should be seeing? Yes. <clears throat> Pretty close anyway. The, uh, the lighter orange background looks more yellowish on a real composite than than the orange that's shown here. And I think the latest MAME actually, or the you know recent version of Reardon's MAME actually do it fairly well. Okay. So it looks much more deserty. Yeah. Right, right. I think they get the yellowish on the, the title screen of Sands of Egypt or something like that, that type of yellow. See, and here I thought with the, the color set I was getting, I was thinking that uh, Steve had made this game to be... Um, a futuristic uh, wasteland where the only thing that survived were the Tandy Towers. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in this desert is all the deluxe cocos buried. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I got to find this desert. What color is that on the mountains? It's a uh, kind of a black and red crosshatch dither. So oh, it's uh, right. yeah. looks a bit brown. <laughs> yeah, kind of brownish. <clears throat> On the Coco 3, of course, you can just do a pallet command and change them to whatever the heck you want. There you go. Anyway, I'll stop sharing, but thanks thanks for reading the review because my voice is going to be crap for the news. So that's all the intelligible people on the, your part of the show. 
So basically, uh, yeah, I agree that uh, you should not feel ashamed if uh, this was a game you had when you were younger, because it's a pretty good racer. Yeah, I mean, if you like what he said in his review there, if you want to go for a strict racer, yeah, there's better ones like Pit Stop 2 and Speed Racer. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't put Grand Prix by Intracolor in that because it kind of, the turns on that are terrible. Um, but on the other hand, combining Bump and Jump with Pole Position was just an awesome idea. Like, that, I have more fun with this one than I have with either of the other two. The other ones are more serious games. This is just kind of like happy. Somebody should re- rewrite Pit Stop 2 where you can actually jump your car over others. <laughs> Jump right into the pits. Was it Steve Steve Bjork who wrote Pit Stop Two? No, no, that was um, that was by Epics. But who wrote it? Was it Jesse Taylor? I can't remember now, or if he even tells you, because he did a lot of the Cocoa ports for Epics, especially in the later years when he did like Mind Roll and Rad Warrior and that kind of stuff. Definitely an Epics game. I played a lot of uh, Pit Stop and stuff on uh other systems when i was younger i never did play it on the coco but yeah we never got the original pit stop on the coco but quite frankly i don't mind it because i've seen it on the c64 and others and it's it looks bad plays mm. worse but pit stop too Actually, if you have two human players it's a lot of fun i always enjoyed the first pit stop on the atari 2600 the most but that was just me okay i didn't even know that the atari 2600 had a version of that i've never tried it yep we used to have uh, competitions to see who could do the fastest pit stop when I was a kid. The fun of the two-player games is you keep ramming other people off the road until their tires wear out, and then you, you can take them right out of the game. That's the fun part. Actually, Especially if it's your brother. Sorry. Or you could ram them right into the pit stop lane. Yeah, you run them off into the pit stop, and even if they didn't need it, they have to come back out. They've lost a few seconds, yeah. Yep. Not that I back to the actual like game. That. <laughs> okay uh yeah so um dessert rider pretty good game but no desserts just a desert um i make a cactus pie or something i guess I don't yeah know. cactus juice i don't know what else uh anybody else have anything to say about it other than uh it's definitely a game worth playing um it's it, like on the gentle turns it's fairly easy you can see far enough ahead you can see when like the, the little rocks and stuff are coming when you're on the hairpin turns, they sometimes show up really quick. And on a hairpin turn two, you've got to slow down. Otherwise, you're going to go drift way off to the side because you can't take the turn that fast. And there's yeah. cactuses waiting on the side of the road to take you out. So, you, you know, back off on the throttle a bit there. And like Mark said, on the gentle turns, it almost turns itself. You hardly have to do anything to. Yeah. But then it's so on, on the hairpin turns, I generally tend to slow it down. That gives me more time to react. If a pit or a rock does come up, then you have time to jump. Now, do you get more points if you finish the track faster, or? Um, do you get a bonus? Yeah, there's a timer, I think, that gives you a bonus, doesn't it? The timer counts remember. up, though, I think. It counts up how long it takes you to do the track, doesn't it? I don't know. There's, there's Brian with it on the wrong color set, because he's playing in the water. <laughs> <laughs> the cocoa, this is the cocoa. Yeah, tree. so the timer counts up. I was, uh, I did remember that correctly. Yeah, this is on the Coco oh. 3. Going through yeah, start. just hold down F1 and hit reset and it should fix. Anyway, so uh, yeah, and the other game that we played this week was um, Space Rock. Oh, yeah, also the feature game on the Amigos on yesterday. Yes, it was. And I unfortunately missed that because I still am not used to uh, trying to tune into them Friday in the middle of the afternoon here. <laughs> uh, yeah. So 
what I'm assuming you watched it, Curtis. What did they yeah. have to say about Space Wreck? They quite liked it. They were surprised too because there's actually some elements when you get into the later levels and you get into some of the other ships, like the ones that are cloaked, so you can't see them on the your uh, radar screen. Yeah, you can see their shots. You can kind of triangulate where they're coming from or where they are by the shots that you can see on the screen. But you have to, to see them. You have to fly right up next to them and see them on the main 3D thing. There's even a, a much bigger ship later on that takes a couple of hits and uh, warps in and out all over the place. You only have a, a couple seconds to try to hit it, and then it disappears and appears somewhere else. That one's really hard. Um, but yeah, they quite liked it. They liked uh, the fact that it ripped off both Star Wars and Star Trek at the same time. because so it's got the scrolling, you know, yeah. in a galaxy far, far away from Star Wars and immediately switched over to Space Wreck and then plays a little bit of the Star Trek theme. So if you're going to get sued, you might as well get sued by everybody at once, I think is what they exactly. <laughs> commented on. It was back then. It was the wild west of game making. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. It was, it was a good ploy. You can go. You know, if somebody from the Star Trek franchise comes saying, "Oh, we're going to sue you," no, no, let's let's rip it off Star Wars, not Star Trek. What are you talking yeah. about? And vice versa. So, what game is it on the STC? Uh, Sorry, what? Should be under Wreck, isn't it? Uh, w R E K. Space Wreck or Wreck? Yeah, one of the two. I'm pretty sure it's under Wreck on the STC. Yeah, I just used one of my you know backed up discs that I have mixed my S games, so I didn't have to go through. So there. it's Trek with the W. Yeah, there you go. And this one, uh, this is one of the ones actually. It was only recently when uh, the Dragon people scanned in the manual that I actually found out all the other keys. I didn't know about all of them. I knew some of them, uh, but I didn't know about uh, the fact you had mines you can drop off. The photons I did photons, know about, yeah. and the warp speed I did find out about, but the uh, mines I had no idea. Speaking of getting wrecked, an insane <laughs> cat bothering me. It's like, and this me. is one I really like playing on double speed on the Coco 3. That's something I told Aaron. To try. And he actually did try it, though. They didn't show any footage of it, fortunately. Mm-hmm. I, I found it easier on the Coco 3 speed. I, I was wondering if the rest of you had a chance to try it on Coco 3 speed. Did you guys find it easier or is it just too fast? Have not done that yet. I've actually found it easier. My, my best score, I think, was on Coco 3 speed. My, yeah, probably it, it gets it runs a little slow when you're just trying to get over to follow ships and stuff. Well, that's one of the things when you fly into the uh, the space station, you can get upgrades and you also get additional yeah. things like additional mines and torpedoes. But you can get, increase your turn speed and your actual warp speed. Yeah, and then you get the special warp. Where you hold down the Enderkin, you can really rocket through there. So that's you got to you got to get your power ups first before you get those. Well, yeah, fancy but, uh, right at the beginning, it's a little it's. But, I mean, I know it's designed that way because you're supposed to get the power-ups, but if you're running it on double speed, I'm assuming you'll be able to turn a little quicker and move a little quicker. Well, the whole game moves faster, so they move faster, yeah. too. It's not like you'll catch up to them, but... It'll seem like you're doing more, though, so... Yeah. This is actually, I think, one of the better clones of uh, the Star Trek Strategic Operations Simulator because it's based on yeah. a color vector graphics arcade game that only came out the year before this did, so they you did this pretty quick. Um, but most of the other versions I've seen, like the Atari 8-bit version, they just have these zoom 2D sprites of, you know, space stations and ships. They don't rotate or stuff. Like here, if you actually, like some of the ships concentrate on shooting your space station and try to kill it off before you, before you can go get, you know, fixed weapons and stuff. And if you're watching it as it's flying to it, you can actually watch it rotate so it aims at the station, then starts firing. So mm-hmm. you add a lot of, you know, subtle nuances and stuff here. But some of the extra ships and the extra bonus levels, like the uh, asteroid fields and the... um that saucer thing that drops mines. Oh, like, I, I don't the, think that's the mine dropper. 
Yeah, I don't think that's even in the original arcade game. So Aaron and them were mentioning that there's some stuff in here that's new uh, beyond the arcade game, which I thought was pretty cool. Kind of like, you know, Draconian did with Bosconian. They added some extra stuff. I can say that I have not played the arcade game in a few years. So yeah, about 35 for me, I think is roughly what I remember. We had it briefly at the university arcade. I'm going to bring that up again. Um, but it uh, disappeared after a while because Gauntlet and a few others like Afterburner came in and became much more popular. So they were. Yeah, I don't think I ever saw it at the University Arcade. But and yes, me and Curtis both went to the same university a few years apart. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So anyway, so pretty. That's a very enjoyable game too. So we'll talk more about was, that next I, week. I was just thinking, this wireframe 3D stuff is math. We just saw a math coprocessor that speed things up. I wonder what kind of speed up you'd get out of that. <laughs> right? Hmm. You you better start hacking it up, Curtis. Get on it. I'll let Henry do it because then he's getting practice for getting his fourth running with it too. <laughs> well, I look I actually looked at some of those uh some of those times for that math co, and I'm like, if that's faster than what's in the cocoa right now, I'm scared. <laughs> Because some of those things are like 12,000 cycles to complete. Oh, you mean on the math co-presser, it takes 12,000 cycles? Yeah. So like um, uh, power, the power function uh, takes anywhere between 8,290 and, and 12,032 cycles to complete. That's a floating point one, I would assume? Yeah, it's a floating point. Yeah. Taking a, uh, taking the natural, uh, taking a logarithm, not the natural log, uh, the logarithm is between 4,474 and 7,132 clock cycles. Now, does that have an independent clock from the Cocoa, or is that based on the Cocoa clock? It's got a clock input, and it will run, it looks like it'll run like a 1 megahertz clock or a 2 megahertz clock. So, um, at least what I've what I've seen, there might be ones that take a higher clock rate. Okay, I'd have to compare that. Like the I don't like base regular basic Microsoft Basic doesn't tell you at, at all what those different functions take, but the basic nine manual does, um, mm-hmm. and it tells you how many CPU cycles it takes for hours and logarithms. So maybe I'll have to look that up here while Ken talks more about the game. Yeah, okay, about the game. Um, I don't know what else to say about the game other than uh, it was quite enjoyable, and it's going to have to be talked about more next week when I look up some reviews and stuff for it. So, I guess for now, we'll talk about the Game on Challenge live show. So, I just have to find that. There we go. So, very briefly, we actually had 10 people playing at once. Well, sort of. Nick was just showing videos of his games. But... um, Of course, that's self-promoting... (laughs) <laughs> yeah so we actually uh this was one of the i think this was the best turnout that we've had for the live i don't know if have if we've hit 10 people before or not i was gonna ask sloopy but he's not here so it only lasted for a few seconds though so um yeah a lot of fun was had by everybody we went on for couple hours, I think. I had to leave early, but this cat is going to drive me nuts. He keeps trying to pull my <laughs> keyboard off the uh, table. Um, Yeah, so Thursday nights, uh, we definitely, well, this is one of the biggest turnouts for the game 
uh, that we've had for a while with 22 participants. So hopefully yeah. we'll I, I did leave a message for Taylor and Amy because they're huge Star Trek fans. And this is yeah. a game that they've played uh, the official version on the Atari 8-bits too, I think. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they'll get some time. Amy did respond and said they'll try to get some time in to do it. They did actually make a cool video, which will be covering the news, but it wasn't yeah. a space wreck. Well, they should be here on Thursday night, and then they could join in on the well, fun. Unless you want to watch an operating table live while they're streaming. I don't know if you want sure, to Sure, why that. not? <laughs> That'd be different. Yeah. Live gallbladder removal. <laughs> Is that Live repair of a joystick thumb. That's what I'd be getting. That's <laughs> Um, yeah, so Thursday nights, uh, five o'clock, um, Pacific, Pacific time, so 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern, 8 p.m. Eastern in the Discord channel for the Game On Challenge Live. Join in, you can play, you can uh, share your screen to play, or you can just come in and chat with us, or you can hang out in the audience and chat with us. All right, well, um, does anybody want to see what <laughs> we what? I'm sorry, Exile in Paradise. Is that gallbladder game on the archive? <laughs> yeah, it's called Microscopic Mission, but you have to get the right uh, sub game mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah, you have to. It's it's an add-on for the uh, for that. All right, so uh, we are going to be playing Space Rack for one more week, um, and I had to go way, way, way back in time to find this game. It's an original Tandy classic or something? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> one of right. the very first games ever put out on the Coke. One of the launch titles, actually. Yep. So we're going with an original launch title here. Anybody knows this game? This one is 44 years old. <clears throat> well, some Was sort of a breakout. breakout. Right. <laughs> some sort of a breakout. <laughs> this game has a ton of different versions of breakout into it too it's got variable it ball speed number of balls you can have gravity turned on or off you can play it sideways you can have two players going head to head where they're combating over the same bricks at the same time there's a ton of options so i'm interested which ones ken's gonna allow for the scores so um anyways uh just to quickly show which game it actually is there's no title screen in the game so i just took nope. a picture of the cartridge that i have he was mandated he could not go over 4K Us. to write this thing, and he really had to compress it to get all the features in that he had. Especially since, yeah, like Curtis said, there is a ton of features in this game. You can, uh, but we are going to be playing with uh, gravity turned on just to make it different from the other versions of uh, this that difficult. we've played. <laughs> it's very difficult as well, but also it it means that those of you that have made paddles for this game. Uh, aren't going to be at an advantage because in the gravity one, you need three dimensions to move or two dimensions to move up and down. Yeah. If you, if you, if you pick the paddle and ram it up towards the ball, you can hit it much faster or you can pull back while it's coming down to make it. Pretty much the only way you're going to get it up to the bricks is you have to kind of hit it on an upward motion because you're, uh, you can, uh, let me just switch back to the other screen. Your paddle can move anywhere in the uh, area below the bricks. So up, down, left, and right. And uh, yeah, so we're going to be playing it with five balls. And if any of you have friends out there 
that want to play this game with you, try the two-player cooperative version. Um, then you can both have you both have a paddle on the screen that you're uh, trying to hit with. So, so have Tim and AJ already played this? I can't remember if they oh, have or not. I, I, I think, think Tim so. and Amy have other. I can't remember. Maybe a perfect one for that. It's another one for you know some of the head-to-head games we've been talking about doing at Coco Fest this year. Yeah. And so you can play uh, with two players. You can play cooperative where you've uh, got um, the paddles on either side. If you play without gravity on, you can actually play it so that there's one of you is playing a paddle on each side like an old Pong game. Yeah, and with bricks can, in the middle. And yeah. you can also play it where there's actually a wall in the middle and you've both got bricks on either side of the wall that you're trying to destroy first. So there's a ton of options to play, but we're going to be playing gravity on five balls. Now, is there speed too? I can't remember. Mm, no, I don't think so. It's just gravity it on or off is the difficult kind of the. Oh, difficulty. Brian! Brian fired up. Brian, what options did you have at the beginning? Um. Well. Um, oops. We'll just start over here. Now that screen we've seen a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> I've also got the instruction book right here. So. Ooh, look at that! Not He's all prepared. So you can play one to four players. And uh, if you choose more than one player, you can play uh, separate courts or same courts partners or separate courts, same court or alternate as competitors. And then gravity on or off and then the number of balls. Okay, no speed setting. Okay. Yeah, Glenn Soggy crammed quite a bit of uh, this is one we when we did the interview with the image producers way, way back in what was it 2016 or something. He'd mentioned that he had the game completely fill the 4K ROM. And Tandy would not let him go past. And then they found a bug. And in order to fix the bug, he had to add code. So they had to go through all of his code again and do every trick in the book to save bytes. You know, if you had something like, you know, pull SD com X and then an RTS, he changed that to a plus DXPC and, you know, just all kinds of little tricks there. You know, some of the stuff that Microsoft did in basic too, like, you know, skip two bytes by doing a compare X that's useless and all kinds of things. But he, he managed to get it. He actually had, I think, 12 bytes left over by the time he was all done. And he did fix the bug, so it's actually uh, a very impressive. I had not played this before, even though I have had the cartridge sitting here forever, and I was very impressed with the amount of uh, different ways that you can play the game off of this cartridge. Yeah, I think that was a direct response to the Atari Twenty Six Hundred because any of you who grew up in the late seventies, early eighties, when the Atari Twenty Six Hundred was at its most popular. They had, you know, dozens or even over a hundred game variations for some of the stuff like Space Invaders, I think, had 112. Yeah. And but they a didn't lot of the, really differ that much. Well, some of them were like Space Invaders had invisible invaders or, you know, yeah, invisible well, like, track track shots that move your ship and all kinds of stuff. But yeah. This this is one of the few home computer ones that tried to go that same route where you've got so many different option combinations here. You have have a lot of diversity in the game. Yeah. Most you know that he had one or two players, and that was pretty well he had. So, like I said, uh, play the way to, to get your score, but I do recommend, especially if you have friends, to try out some of the other, oh, I'm out. Uh, other ways. Yeah, me too. So, <laughs> I, I'm trying to teach my cat to play games, but no, she's not listening. <laughs> the really humiliating part is if your cat beats you. That's, that's what I'd be worried about. <laughs> and... Uh, Everybody's probably going to be a little angry at me after they play the um, the gravity on version for a little while. It's, it's pretty. That's hard. hard. Yeah. 
got a couple comments in the chat over here too. Uh, Micro Hobbyist says, geez, 4K game. My monitor is 4K because he just did that for a 639 project. (laughs) (laughs) And Sixy Karen says, wow, playing with that gravity is hard. And he underlined the word hard. Yep, it is. You hit it harder, it comes right back at you faster. That's exactly right. It's true. Oh, yeah. Okay. But it's I wanted to differentiate it from the other versions of this that we've played in the past. So yeah, most of the other ones are pretty standard. Stuff. Yeah. Like uh, I mean, we have some really good versions on the. Uh, we even had some but... other head-to-head versions. I've seen like I think was yeah. Chroma Set or TND had one that's a head-to-head, but nothing with the sophistication and options as this. So yeah, that's basically why I chose the hardest way to play this is just for the uh to show that it's something completely different uh, and it's like a launch title that's completely different from other versions that you ever play of this game. Yeah. This was also a bundle <clears throat> with the TDP 100 systems. I don't know if Terry Steggy's yeah. still on the call or not, but um there was a time when you bought a 64K TDP 100, this was bundled with the Black Beauty joysticks as you know 3.99 you got the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just. And it's also one of the best-selling ones from Tandy because I know Glenn said he checked his records back when we interviewed him, and they he sold like he got commissions on these three hundred thousand um, copies. Yeah. Sorry, Curtis, you're you're right. Sorry about that. Oh, you are there. I am. <laughs> now you've actually probably got a super bust out the TDP one hundred version of the cartridge, which is a little bit different label wise. I do. Um, I don't have it handy, but. All the TDP ones had a blue um, cardboard case around them, not the silver. Yeah. Well, you'll have to show it uh, next week or the week after. Or you could join us on the live challenge there, Terry, and then you could show it on there. Yeah. Well, it's a kid's kid-friendly show, and I cuss every time I play these games. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that uh, when people play this version of Bust with Out, the gravity, actually, Curtis, I do have one question for you. Like every all of the stuff, it's like bust out on the cartridge, bust out on the um, manual. But in your website, you have it as super bust out. That was kind of Glenn's nickname for it, I think, because it was a much more expanded bust out than most other bust outs. Yeah. So that's what he kind of called internally. So um, don't don't be uh, fooled by Curtis's site because un, under the archive, it is just under bust out. Yeah. It's not under super bust. Out. I think I, mean, I can't remember if the Radio Shack catalogs, which version they did. I'd have to go take a look. <clears throat> At RadioShackCatalogs.com, I believe there's probably a place for somebody to check that if they want. And if you're looking it up, it's uh, catalog number 263056. Oh, there. There's some of the uh, TDP branded uh, boxes oh, and the TDP sorry. itself. I had that one on there, darn it. Anyway, okay, sorry. And I, I, I Karen, or can maybe can answer in the chat there, but uh, was this one one of the ones sold for the Cocoa by Tandy in the UK? So I don't think I've ever seen a Tandy UK version of it. And also, Micro Hobbyist is asking if we're going to play the breakout game next Thursday. Yes. You can play either, and space wreck. You can play either space wreck or bust out or actually any old Coco game you want. Yeah, but those are the two games that are featured. Are you going to be an attention hound like Nick and just play games you wrote? Well, he doesn't even <laughs> play them. He just plays videos of them. <laughs> that way, I win <laughs> every time. But at least he wasn't showing any uh, videos of the game that shall not be named. Uh, that'll be next week. 
Or you could be like Sloopy and just play Atari games. Yes. <laughs> cool. That's that. That's a challenging game, especially with the gravity. That's that's going to be probably a lot more difficult for people who've never played this game before. That's the difficulty is not obvious until you start playing it and you find out the physics of moving your paddle towards the ball to catch it and how fast that thing can go off. And if you hit it on the edge of the paddle, what kind of angle it can go off at high speed. And it's, it's hard. Don't expect I, high scores. I know in other okay. versions of this game that we've played, uh, people that have used paddles have had a, uh, an advantage and not here. <laughs> the two dimensional movement in this one is, uh, takes away that advantage. You can't use a paddle. I've only no. been playing it for a few minutes here on the show and I'm already frustrated. So, <laughs> wow you got a thousand ten holy cow how many balls did you play five i i followed your recommendations oh, okay or with gravity with gravity wow that's a much better score than i did when i was play testing it last night <laughs> so we yes, now brian's number one brian's number one take away one of those zeros and the, that would be about how i was doing Maybe I should take a picture right now because that might be the best. Yeah, it's a pretty good, pretty good game for 4K. I gotta say. Well, and the the reason for my score here is that I I did do the uh, with the gravity where you push up on the paddle, but I happen to have a hole or a gap on the first row of uh, of brick, and it, it's quickly sped up and did the whole top row real quickly. It blew it all out, and that's what. Oh, this okay. might be the one. Yep. Yeah. yep. Yeah, that that that's what you got to do with that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a challenge. I will say that. All right. But to well, see if that's... our regular game uh, high score winners lately, like the Doctor and and Tasman and and Buck Owens, if they can get some decent scores out of this sucker with gravity, that's going to be interesting. We'll see. Oh, Karen's saying I never had a copy. I don't remember actually even seeing cartridges in Tandy, oddly. Maybe it was too late by the time he was looking. I don't know. They sold cartridges here right through the Cocoa 3 era, so that's kind of weird. At least in North America and Australia. I'm assuming you had bust out in, in Australia, Nick. Yeah, we did. Yeah. It was good back in the day. I mean, in the early 80s there, I mean, bust out was a, a reasonably reasonable looking game for the Coco. Yeah. And like I said, it had a lot of options, which a lot of the home computers did not have in their games. That seemed to be more of a console thing at that time. And it had and this, color. Yeah. And it not, not you know, fantastic sound, but not bad. It wasn't like, you know, a sound command. It was actually a smoother tone yeah. style thing, which we'll be covering on a video for the news here, too. Oh, uh, Henry, I did get the list of CPU cycles here uh, for Basico 9. So what were some of the ones you'd mentioned that were pretty high? Yep. That, that was, uh, let's see, one of the highest one was the power function, POW. Uh, that's uh, X to the wife, effectively. And how many cycles was that? That was between 8,290 and 12,032. 39,200 in Basico 9 for a 40-bit Cordic style. Okay, this is a thirty-two bit. Uh, this is a thirty-two bit double um, or thirty-two bit precision thing, but yeah. So that's that's a pretty significant savings there. Yeah, it's about three times faster, roughly. All right, three, so that makes a four. difference. Yeah, so it looks like it is it is faster, so that might be useful. 
Yeah, on his um, I can't remember. Uh, Alan, do you remember? If, is did he have some YouTube videos or was it through his GitHub? He did do some sample programs where he sh- he showed one root uh, routine. I think he ran through basic and then he did it through assembly and then he did it. Then he brought in the the coprocessor and it went from like thirty seconds down to three seconds to do oh. a particular calculation. I can't remember. I, he had some examples. I don't know if Alan's there at the moment. Or he's muted. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. Were you talking to me? Uh, no, uh, Alan. Oh. Yeah, I don't think Alan's around at the moment, so. Yeah, it would be interesting to see. It's like if you can get a three times speed up on, you know, something as complicated as that. <clears throat> I imagine there's there are transcendental functions like you know, sine and cosine stuff are probably a fair bit faster, too. And if you want to do like some 3D graphics or something like that, it might be interesting to see what, what it can do. Yeah. Maybe you'll have to play with it. Anything else, Ken, or is that covered? No, nope, that's that's all I have to say. I am done. I can go to sleep now. The news is about to start. <laughs> well, uh, Mark B. Uh-huh. Yeah, well. I can either do the upcoming events first and then the break or and then do all the news combined. Or do you want to take a break first and then do all three? Uh, we can take a break. All right. Let's see what did I do last week. Here we go. Hi, this is Rick Adams, author of Temple of Rom and Shanghai, and I, like you, am a citizen of the Coco Nation. This is not the Joey Serial Switch. This is the Joey Serial Switch. Control up to three serial devices. Order yours today at cocoman.biz. The music is back. For many a year, peace has reigned throughout the realm. In the forest, nothing but ruins of an ancient fortress remain to fuel the myth of the evil wizard. Tales of your ancestors' quest are met with laughter. Mockery follows your warnings. But you know what awaits.
When you want the latest in TRS-80, Tandy, Dragon, MC-10, and all of their hardware cousins, no matter what it takes, or where news breaks, from around the world, to your nation, the Coco Nation News, with L. Curtis Boyle. And, of course, I hit the wrong stupid button. Okay. <laughs> so are we showing or no? Yeah, yeah, we are. Not not the uh, keyboard. Okay. Uh, uh, just the news screen. Um, okay, so if you want, I can blow up that keyboard there. So, Terry, uh, show us your little friends. <laughs> <laughs> See, this have furballs. This is what we hardware guys get to deal with. <laughs> wow. Wow. Just wow. It, it, these are the ones you're cleaning up that are out on that video I'll be showing on the news, right? Terry? So, so Terry quite literally has a bug in his computer. Yeah. yeah I think it's a fur ball. Yeah, little, I think it's a bit little, bigger than a bug. Oh. Little, ba- little baby fur bunnies. This is actually oh. after running them through the dishwasher twice. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sonic cleaner. So, yeah, I uh, I think they're too big for those things. Oh, I'm glad I didn't eat yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because now you have lunch. Oh, protein. Sanitize. <laughs> Cup of bleach. So I wonder, were they still uh, breathing before you put them in the dishwasher or not? Huh? I don't think so. They <laughs> they look a little mummified. The ones that the initial clean out I did, I'm so glad I had the forethought to leave this out in my garage. Now, I will tell you something funny. When these showed up to me, the gentleman that shipped them to me, I wasn't home. My wife got them and the box said, um, how was it list? It was a uh, uh, United States Post Office box labeled um, cremated remains. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sure the mailman and my wife thought, what has Terry become? So (laughs) honestly, looking in this thing, they're not that wrong. They didn't lie. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. But oh, yes. Mike, our obvious is asking, what was that? He can't see it on his phone. Well, I don't really know what it was at one time. Take it out and poke it. Oh, God dang. <laughs> mm, that's a no, fur. It's, it's it really looks a quite dead. Yeah. Uh-huh. Coco has built it up over the years. Man, a lot. And I, have two, I haven't opened the other keyboard yet, so I'm almost... It was actually worse than this one, so don't don't do a DNA test. I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> Think I'm gonna name this Coco Dahmer. <laughs> <laughs> so these must have been left outside in a barn or something, right? I honestly think they were in some kind of a like a a garage of some sort, like a uh, 
because they had a real bad spell of petroleum and uh, um, like diesel comes from it. They were pretty good. So anyway, yeah, that's what I was saying. I had the forethought to leave these in my garage because I think we could have had a new pet in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Or 20,000, yeah. He might have found the remains of a real life grease weasel. (laughs) 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 Wow. Oh, I don't even want to touch this. Anyway, <laughs> it didn't mean to disrupt everybody. Now people are going to lose weight because they can't eat now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, our obvious stack, uh, because he couldn't see it on his phone, but after we described it, his one word response was yuck. <laughs> <laughs> I've had others, but I can't put those on the show. <laughs> hey, it's lunch. <laughs> yeah, it's lunch. <laughs> it's lunch. I think those are going to use the flyers. Ah, <laughs> uh, wait. Yeah, look at the stuff you miss if you don't watch the Coco Nation show. That's all I can say. <laughs> it's, it's a live show. Anything can and will happen. Well, I don't know if that one's live. I think it's dead. It's a dead show. It's hey, <laughs> pretty good TV. <laughs> yeah. Not, not holding oh. Ken back. He's eating. I see that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure David wouldn't have a problem either. <laughs> Mikey in the chat on the other end says, I don't know if I can eat lunch. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Mikey. And Mike Miller's asking if it came out of a chimp cage at a zoo. <laughs> hey, you guys didn't grow up in the Midwest. There's all kinds of things you get to eat here. I, I That's did. not even the worst thing I've seen not today. True. I'm not eating. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I threw some leftovers outside last week, and then I found a dead possum. Oh. It's like, hmm. You guys have roadkill cafes, don't you? I don't know. This one was in the backyard. This might have been the POS for one. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, possum, raccoon, squirrel, rabbit. Oh, yum. All food groups. So, anyway, what do we got? For- which state was it that was? Which state was it that was finally making like collecting roadkill without having to use a hunting tag legal? I don't know. State of confusion. Yeah. I've often oh, well. wondered if you had to tag a deer you hit with your car. In many states, the answer to that is surprisingly yes. Because <laughs> around here, it does happen pretty frequently. <laughs> I, yeah, we have that up here, actually, too. If you. Especially at night. I figured I'd pay license plate tags. That's enough. <laughs> anyway, what do we got for news? <laughs> <laughs> right, let's go somewhere else. Anywhere else. <laughs> what would a Coca Nation show be if it didn't have tangents? Absolutely wild tangents. A good show. It didn't have sequence instead. <laughs> All right. Wait, so the first did- one. Uh, first item here, um, and then I'm going to go through the upcoming shows. This is actually a show that's going to be on tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, live on YouTube. Um, if any of you are on the TRS-80 Discord, not to be confused with the Coco Discord, uh, you can actually join in on the show there. They'll give you the link and stuff in, in their uh, show notes. And uh, they're going to be doing a bit of a different episode uh, today. So basically, one thing they used to do in their podcast is that occasionally would just pick a magazine for the TRS-80s and then just kind of run through it. And I know Chronological Gaming does this on occasion, too. They just did an Atari magazine recently, and they've covered Rainbow once before, too. 
So what they're planning on doing today is doing a walkthrough of the August 1982 issue of 80 Micro, which is actually the very first 80 Micro I ever bought, and I still have it, though mine's pretty well falling apart into pieces. And that's their arcade game issue. So they had a bunch of arcade games and other types of games for the black and white Model 1, Model 2, Model 3, including a Model 2 version of Battleship for the big honking, you know, $7,000 business computer. Um, but they also had uh, some Coco games in there, too, that were fairly decent, you know, basic ones. And they also had a couple of interesting interviews in that issue, which I think they'll probably be covering on the show tonight as well. Uh, the first one is they interviewed some of the graphic uh, artists and programmers for the movie Tron, because the movie Tron was just, you know, getting made at this time. So they actually have some shots and explained how it worked and how they had to download a 1200 baht, a, a massive graphics file from Japan back to the States one frame at a time to you know, animate, you know, the different parts of Tron, the movie, of course. Huh. And the other interesting interview in that one is they interviewed Leo Christopherson. So those of you that are familiar with the Tier City Model 1 and 3 will recognize his name right away from doing stuff like Android Nim and Dancing Demon, uh, Voyage of the Valkyrie, um, a bunch of other games. He was really good at doing animations on the Model 1 and 3. And the interview he has in there goes into some of his, you know, history as a kid and stuff too, but it also talks about his working on the color computer for the first time. And this is when he was working on Clendathu. And some of you may remember that tape game that Tandy sold which also had very good animations of the spiders and stuff. And it's based on the Starship Troopers, Robert Heinlein novel. novel. So um, it's a very interesting interview too. And plus they've got, like I said, a ton of other stuff in there too. So I'm kind of interesting to see where they're going to, what, what parts are they going to concentrate on as they go through the magazine? Because the magazine's like, I don't know, four or 500 pages long. It's huge. Um, so anyway, that's on tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern, five, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific, right, Ken? Am I doing math right? And then in between for anybody's on Central and Mountain, et cetera. Uh, sure. <laughs> he just woke up. Anyway, it should be interesting because they haven't done one of these on the live stream, I don't think ever. And they haven't done one on the podcast for a number of years by the sounds of it. So I will have to uh, let's give it a listen and be in the chat for that one. You said that was today. Today. Yeah. Tonight. It'll be in... Uh, six and a half hours, roughly, on YouTube. Okay, so for other upcoming shows, we've got the Interim Computer Festival at Interspace in Seattle, Washington, March 23rd, 24th. And this is the one they're hoping to once again make into an official VCF again, like it was before COVID. So uh, the more tenants they have, uh, the better chance of that happening. After that, we've got the Indie Classic Computer and Gaming Expo, April 13th to 14th in Indianapolis at the Crown Plaza. This is uh, one that is co-hosted by Randy Kindig of the Floppy Days and Antic Podcasts, if you listen to those. And we've had him as a guest on our show before, too. Um, he's a really cool guy. So I, I imagine we, we covered a little bit of it when they did the inaugural show last year, and it sounded like a lot of fun. So and if you're in the Chicago area you know, and you go to the Cocoa Fest, this is not that far off. It's like a four-hour drive from Chicago. So. And then after that, of course, we've got the one in Chicago, the 32nd annual last Chicago Cocoa Fest. And, uh, of course, that's at the Holiday Inn and Suites, same as it was last year. The main uh, room booking is completely sold out. We've got one extra table already sold. They've got some other alternatives as well as that alternative uh, room to go into. Um, you can join in at thetandylist.com to see those. Now, is Grant still on the call? Because I think yes, he did. I am. Yeah, I'm here. You you did an update, I believe, uh, posting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just basically let everybody know that the uh, tables were available and ready to be booked now for the um, uh, overflow room. 
And if people want to move from the main ballroom to the overflow room, like if you're not going to be showing anything or selling anything, just want a place to call home to reach out to me and let me know. And then we will uh, um, accommodate them and so forth like that. Now, one thing I do want to make a notice, uh, make sure everybody knows there will be no extra tables at the day of Coco Fest. So because we rent the tables uh, or uh, we have to rent tables up and above the ones that we already have used for the hotel. So we're not going to purchase extra tables and maybe not use them. So there will be no extra tables on the day of. So if you want to sh- get a table, please get them now because <laughs> you probably will not get one on the day of. So and the other thing, too, uh, don't forget this year is Star Wars theme. So I'm hoping everybody will bring their costumes, decorate their tables and Star, War- and Star Wars theme. So therefore, uh, might be some money involved. So might be worth your time to do it. So Star Trek all the way. That's what I'm doing. Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for right now. Um, and also we're still looking for presentations. So if you want to give a presentation, let me know. I've been in contact with a couple of you already. So, uh, and we will get those booked up. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have something. I'm just not sure what it is yet, depending on what I get done by on time. So you can probably pencil me and Canon for something. I just don't know what it is yet. I'm sure we can find, find something. It might be Maybe. us playing space wreck for an hour and what just having people watch live. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. So <laughs> we'll figure it out. I think you need some cleaners after the show, don't you? Some what? I'm sorry, what? You need some cleaners, don't you, after the show? Mop oh, ups. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We got Curtis for that. He can clean no, it no. for us. No. <laughs> and just let everybody know, I was at the hotel here on a Monday night. So uh I was uh, Yeah, standing. you were you were you were storm chasing in Chicago, weren't you in the Chicago yeah. area? Yep. <laughs> I don't know how we got up there, but we ended up in Chicago. And um, so I stayed at the so hotel. So the hotel there. still standing after whatever disaster you were following? Yep, it actually was. Mm-hmm. And it's in great shape. So um, so things will go well. And um, auction items, too. That's the other thing, too. So if you think about bringing auction items, let me know. Uh, therefore, I have an idea of how many auction items are going to be. Because uh, I have a small box of stuff I'm bringing. I can tell you. Looks now. like we're going to have another good auction again this year. Yeah. So there's a. So I'll even add that to the list now. And I know Brian's bringing some stuff. And then we have a person in Chicago. We got to pick up uh, a lot of stuff from there. And then plus uh, uh, John in Ohio picked up some stuff from that lady uh, in Cleveland, I believe it was. I can't remember, but somewhere in Ohio. So it's like we're going to have a pretty good auction again this year. So make sure you bring your checkbooks and credit cards and uh, PayPal and everything like that. I have a question oh. for you, Grant, because I had a question uh, for the, from the Amigos here. Because we're trying to encourage Brent... And Aaron to come out because uh, both he's he's doing a whole bunch of stuff where he's you know flying in out of the place. He, he won't be able to make uh, Cocoa Fest this year himself. Um, are we still planning on having a uh, group go over to the VCF warehouse to kind of have a tour of the warehouse? Yes. yes and if so, done. which day uh, are we planning on that? Let me reach out to Jason on that. Usually we'll do that on either a Friday or Sunday night. So, because Saturday night, everybody's busy doing the music and everything like that. So it'll be Can either Friday. It Friday night, please? Because I have to go back to, I have to go back to Massachusetts on Sunday. How much is it? How much is it worth to you? <laughs> oh. <laughs> maybe maybe not game. that much, but. Because <laughs> so, we also, we also need helpers to uh, load all the power strips. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say too, because we can also take people over on Friday because uh, we have to go over and pick up a bunch of stuff from the warehouse as well too. So if you would like Still to. Two on stone. Yep. I so might. Exactly. I'm trying to remember. I think that I've, I think that I'm planning on arriving in, in uh, wherever the heck the name of that town is in Chicagoland. Um, 
on Thursday night, so I might be available Friday morning. I'll have to double check my s- schedule though. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I know I'll be there on Thursday night, Friday morning. So, what time are you getting there, Brian? I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm looking at Brian here. Um, yeah, what time? What time are you getting there? Like one o'clock? Uh, yeah, one o'clock on Friday, I believe. I've got my itinerary here. So that means that you'll be at the hotel probably by seven o'clock by the time you get your rental car and get <laughs> traffic. Yeah, about, about two, two or three. Uh, okay. So yeah, I get in at one. So you usually it's about you know two hours to get the ten mile or ten miles to the hotel. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, what so other it th- sounds like like Friday night would probably be the preferred one that would probably work best for people because I, I assume some other people are going to have to go back to work Monday and they won't be able to stay yeah, Sunday so, night. So I mean, uh, so. we can definitely take a, a car load over there. I'll let Jason know that uh, there'll be several people coming over on Friday. But I know we also do it on Sunday too because we got to take the stuff back, and that's when a lot a lot of people would like to go too. So we can probably do, accommodate both days. Yeah, yeah. yeah gonna- Friday, I can probably get I, if Brent and uh, and and Aaron are going to actually make it. That's probably the day I have the best chance of getting them there to to go. Okay, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, let me know. Uh, one other thing too. Um, so Salvador's um, uh, T-shirt got flagged for copyright <laughs> violation, so he had to make some adjustments on the T-shirt. That's why I didn't see it there because I went up to see them a couple days after last week's show, and the, mm-hmm. he, the, I only saw Ron's design. So I thought, yeah. Well, so what that's happened? exactly what happened. So he, we just resubmitted it. So if you wanted a T-shirt, maybe you want to get it now before they flag it again for another copyright. <laughs> the Empire story. Strikes Back. So I'm like, surprised uh, Ron's didn't get flagged yet. That's exactly what we were saying too. You know, because he's got Darth Vader on there. So, um, hmm. so I would say get him now because <laughs> who knows what tomorrow's going to bring? Maybe gone again. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So basically, he just uh, changed the. Uh, uh, Death Star from uh, the white color to a black color. So let's see if that gets through. And it's been approved so far. So, and I've already purchased mine of the uh, of his. So, and I think when, maybe when they printed it, maybe that's when it got flagged for copyright violation. So who knows? But either way, might want to book that now and get that uh, before they pull them off again. <laughs> and the, the time we're looking. Oh, sorry. Yes. I was just wondering if you have like a sign up sheet for that tour. Um, that might be helpful. Well, I'll probably be yeah, which of the two days. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, probably just whenever we decide to go over there is what we'll probably do. So probably like three or four o'clock. What time are you going to get there, Terry? Uh, I don't know. We're going to drive, but I'll, I was hoping to be there, um, you know, by three or so. Okay, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'll see if I can get a sign-up sheet and see who all wants to go on uh, Friday. If I'm driving, it'll be three. If Bonna's driving, we'll be there about two thirty. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> you're driving all the way from Wyoming. We are. Oh my, that's a long drive. Pshaw. Every not <laughs> as long as uh... Uh, Canadian miles. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> I think Ken and I might have something to say about that. <laughs> Ken are saying, "Hold my root beer." Well, don't forget William. William has a long drive, too. Oh, he's longer than me and Ken. He's got an extra seven hours on us. I just let you guys know, too, uh, as of right now, for people who just uh, registered just to attend, it's up from up more than it was this time last year. So 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 we might have a pretty good crowd this year. A lot of yeah, first time. Well, everyone wants to come and see the first... stuff Brian's got, I think, is what. Everyone yeah, talking. exactly. All that I know is that the Lux Coco might end up in the back of my car. No. <laughs> oh oh don't worry so, everybody so, will have to put up with me <laughs> so he's on 
So Brian's on the very back of the room, right? So everyone has to pass every other table to get to? Yep. That's the idea. Yeah, the gauntlet. Put the, put the popular stuff in the back and make all the sales in the middle. That's why the milk and, <laughs> cheese, the, the milk and eggs are always in the back of the store. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So we'll, but that's what I'm saying, though. I think we are going to have a bigger crowd this year, too, so it looks like, so which is good. Yeah. All right, and other than that, that's all I have, so. And what was the website again for the T-shirts? Yeah, I was uh, taking a look. I didn't see it here. Oh, wait, can we be here? I think it's glenside.spreadshop.com or something like that. Yeah, yep. Might, might go down a little bit more. It's right there. Yeah, there. Oh, yep, there. there it is. Glenside CCC. Oh, yep, it's still there. Me. Yep, still there. You better grab it quick. <laughs> see, go down oh. see if Ron's is still there. Yep, okay, yep, yep they're both still there. still up, too. Now, you, you can actually order, like, cups and mugs and all kinds of stuff, too. It doesn't have to be a shirt, right? Exactly. You can bumper stickers, fanny packs, anything, everything you think of. So, illegal currency, all kinds of things. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so they they really weren't what we thought they were last week. What do you mean? Uh, somebody mentioned that they were uh, underwear. Oh, yeah, that it, it wasn't that. It was a fanny pack. I looked. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Was. <laughs> Yeah, like so you can you can pick up one of each design if you want to really you know help up some people in the in the club and or you can just pick the one that you think uh, is most appropriate or the one you like the yeah, best. Yeah, and just so everybody knows, I mean that money does go back to the club to help uh, put on Coco Fest, so it does go for, go for a good cause. So yeah, hopefully it won't have to go to legal bills. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. And also too, I always like to uh, say this: the Retro Rewind has uh, sponsored us again this year. I like to say thank you to him again. I try to say that as much as possible, so because we appreciate what he does for us. So. Yes. Anyway, thanks for the update, Grant. Yep, no problem. It's on, we're down to two months, just about, I think. Two months. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah, 60 days. I it's think we're coming 62 up fast. Days. Yep. So, all right. Thanks, guys. Okay. Okay. Next up on the uh, weekend of June the 14th to 16th, there's two shows. So, depending on where in the whereabouts in the country you are, one might be preferable over the other. Uh, the first one I'm going to list here is Boat Fest, uh, third annual, and that's at the social event space in Hurricane, West Virginia. And uh, that's a general uh, retro gaming expo for a multitude of platforms and even some pinball machines and stuff, too. It's got a bigger venue space this time. The floor is not crooked this time, so it's uh, much improved. Uh, you get to sample uh, Boat's wife's uh, brand new restaurant. She just opened called Thai Fusion if you're into Thailand food. And uh, it's always a fun time. It's a lot of fun. And then the exact same weekend is VCF Southwest, and that is at the Davis Gundy Alumni Center at the University of Texas at Dallas. And this will have some little uh, sub uh, shows at it as well, including a Tandy Assembly one, which will be for all the Tandy people, including Coco, Terra City Model 1, 100s, Pocket Computers, and everybody else. They're going to have a bit of a gathering. Uh, last year, they actually had a full panel uh, at the show, too. I don't think they're doing that this year, but uh, there's definitely going to be a big meetup with a lot of the people. So that's another good one to go to on that same weekend. And then the last one to list for now is Tandy Assembly 2024, which is September 27th, 29th in Springfield, Ohio, at the Courtyard by Marriott Springfield, which I believe is the same hotel they used last year. Uh, still too early to get, you know, a lot of seminars and stuff listed because it's uh, over half a year or about half a year away. So, uh, but that'll be coming and getting updated as, as time goes closer to the actual show event. And that's what we got for those. So let's switch over to, I'll just do game on news because it wasn't too much game on news this week. I'll do that first. Find it. There we are. 
Okay, so starting off, uh, we got some uh, Jim Gary stuff on the MC10. What a surprise. So the first one is he ported a program called CryptoQuote, which is from the Syntax magazine, which is uh, the Z- ZX80 magazine, and their very first launch issue in 1980. Um, and this helps solve substitution ciphers. And uh, basically, it's it's meant as an aid for helping a person try to break uh, the substitution cipher. So those of you who don't know what that is, that means you're basically substituting other letters for letters in the alphabet. So you might, you know, anything where an A would normally occur in a sentence, you would change it to an F or something like that. And you can do like fixed offsets or you can just randomly pick them or whatever type here. And basically, this program will help you uh, determine them because you can actually just punch in. You punch on the cipher itself and then you guess what you think the letter should be. And you can instantly see where those will map and see if it starts to make sense as being actual words. So it'll help you actually solve them. So it's not technically a game. I guess it's more of a an aid to doing cipher breaking of uh, substitution ciphers. Still an interesting little program, though. Uh, next up after that, he did the Cape Brett song. Now, when I first saw this, I thought it was actually going to play the music. It does not. It does have some graphics in semi-graphics 4 that actually look pretty nice. And this is based on Cape Breton, which is where, you know, in Jim's area in the Maritimes. And uh, it does play the lyrics to the song as it goes through, but it doesn't actually play music. But I'll play a little bit of it. You can see that he's got some nice little, you know, sunset style things here in, in low res. This is kind of reminds me of some of the graphics we've seen Erico Montero do. Um, and then shows you some of this power of what you can actually do with really low res graphics, with even with just with nine colors. And you can still make some pretty, pretty cool looking scenes. And it goes with the gra- or the lyrics on the bottom there. I'm not familiar with this particular song myself, but. And this one here, the next one he did was called Escape from Monster Matter. Now, he actually released this twice uh, over this past week. He did one called The Monsters of Monster Matter or something like that. It was a slightly different title, uh, which is a conversion of a fairly modern game by Jim McClellan. Now, Jim did the original one in 2020 for the MC-10. So basically, Jim has converted an MC-10 game to the MC-10. And you may ask, well, would, why would you do that? Uh, Jim's original version requires the extended basic extensions that Darren Atkinson did, plus it requires the 32K RAM or higher, or the MCX128K uh, to run. So it's basically almost like an extended basic Coco-style game. What Jim is doing here is backporting it to run on the original semi-graphics and on the original 16K RAM expansion module. That's all you need. You don't need any of the fancy modern stuff. And he did a first version of it, and then Jim got in contact with him and said, yeah, actually, I've done a few updates since that version you're converting. So then Jim quickly got the the newer code from the other Jim and uh, rewrote it again uh, with some of the extra features on it that were added in. So I'll play a little bit of this. It's a game where it shows like different rooms and you got to find gold chests and stuff. And he's added a flashlight option Uh, as you go through the playthrough. It's got several different rooms, but you you get attacked by monsters, etc. And uh, try to find the treasures, etc. here using the keyboard, of course. So he didn't make this one compatible with his little joystick uh, adapter. As it mentions here, it's got uh, nine treasures you got to find on each level, each screen. And uh, he added the option for fast combat messages so you can get, you know, well, having to wait for the messages to print out with the original version that he did earlier in the week, Had I do like this little graphic here. It's kind of like Bart if he was Frankenstein. And eventually you have to find the key to get out that door, and the door is a little blue line you can see in the lower right here. There, you encountered a, a wretched, whatever that is. And you have the option to fight or run, and then you go through the 
sequences here. So then you can collect the treasure. I'll just show you a quick little one of the other rooms. Here's the upstairs lofts. The whole walls and stuff change, and you have to you know, go through find the other nine treasures on this one because each one of these screens has nine treasures hidden on it. And you can use the flashlight, which will briefly flash where they are, and you have to kind of memorize where they are to go find them all. So it's a nice little, uh, you know, dungeon romp style game for the MC10 uh, that you only need the 16K RAM expansion to play. You don't need anything really fancy. If you do want the really fancy one, Jim McClellan's version is still available as well. That would require at least an SDX or what did they call their 32K SD card solution one? Is it the SDX or SD MCX32. MCX32, thank you. you and then also they, uh, the, it'll work on the MCX128, which also has extended basic, but doesn't have the SD card. Um, if I could just interject for a second, uh, Ed yep. Snyder has three of those on his website. If somebody's looking to, oh, he restocked those. Okay, yep. So there's three of them. On That's his the website. SD card region version, not the 120k, right? That he's got. Okay. Yep. Well, they'll be there today anyway. <laughs> uh, they used to be there. Maybe, maybe by the end of the show, they might might be still there. But yeah, that's a really good upgrade because it lets you get basically virtual disk options. It gives you extended basic and you know graphics up to P mode one. I think it is P mode zero and one. And uh, extended basic and, and, you know, just a ton of extra RAM to work with, too. So it's 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 really nice uh, addition to the MC-10. And the last one, Animation Plus on YouTube. Uh, and he's been doing some of these top platforms of official ports of games. And uh, he decided to do the top 12 platforms of Arkanoid that perfectly translate the original arcade game. Now, you know, your definition of perfect may differ from him. Um, like in, for example, the Coco version doesn't have all the music backgrounds as some of these other ones that had sound chips and stuff do. So uh, ours wouldn't be perfect. But as far as the gameplay and the graphics go, the Coco 3 version of Arkanoid by Steve Bjork is actually really close. And he actually covers a bunch of them. And uh, the Coco one is the second one listed here. So I'll just play a little bit of the previous one, which I think is the BBC Micro. No, I'm sorry, CBC. Just so you guys can see kind of a compare. This actually has a sound chip, so it's kind of doing the, the sound. Now, it's a bit lower res, you'll notice, than the, the Coco. It's a little bit blocky. And if you take a look at the Coco version... I mean, it's no background sound. It's quite as good as the uh, you know dedicated sound chip. Though the firing sounds really good and explosions. But the graphics look a little bit better to me. Anyway, the premise of the video is he goes through 12 different ports, official ports of Arkanoid, and he plays the first round through to completion. So you can actually compare, you know, how the gameplay is on the exact same level on all 12 platforms. I thought that was kind of cool. That's all I had for a game on news. It was pretty, pretty small this week. But the regular news has a bit more, so we'll switch over there. So before I start playing this, I was going to ask how many people have seen this video already on the panel. I have, I have. Anybody else? Uh, yep, ooh, ooh, me have. too, me too, me too. I have. Me, 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 me. Pick me. Oh my! <laughs> so if one of you wants to describe what this is about, and then I'll give a little bit of background. Um, they make, they make a cocoa man yeah, with a bow tie. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Now, first of all, does, is there an official name of the mascot, the the one that was in the color basic manuals of the Coco? You know, the little animated with legs and stuff. I don't think there is. Yeah, he was called TRS-80. <laughs> well, how do you differentiate him from the other ones then? 
You don't. You look at the sign. Is it got green on it? That's the color. So how would you tell a model one and three? Because they'd be able to be black and white. Oh, I guess uh, uh, the, the, one, the physical case would be different, though. Be... Yeah, because one one has detached head, you know, that kind of floats in the ether, um, as well as the Coco does. But the three is going to be like all one big block. So the three is probably going to be built like a tank, be your like standard musculature type of guy. Yeah. Anyway, what they decided to do, because they, they actually go through a bit of the, the original uh, basic manuals for the Cocoa, which I will still to this day say is probably the best and best written for beginners uh, Cocoa basic, or basic manual out of all the 8-bit machines and probably the 16s and 32s too. Um, now, the original author, they did not know who that was because that's not a very well-known uh, thing. But her name was, it was written by a woman, by the way, uh, it was Donna Smith, I believe, I think is her name. Um, now, I, Boise did find out from other people that it worked at Tandy, her name, and she's still alive. She's on Facebook. Now, Boise's mentioned that she's very private and doesn't like having, you know, being on guests on shows or, you know, doing interviews, that kind of thing. So I've asked uh, some of the people that actually still have a very limited contact with her still, if she would be willing to answer even just a couple email questions, because I have questions like, did she design the artwork and the mascot as well? Or did she just do the technical part of the manual? Because I have no idea, and nobody else seemed to know either. So I'm um, hopefully you all find out at some point here. Uh, but they did not know that at the, at the time, so I've kind of let uh, Taylor Name know afterwards. But I'll play a little bit of a clip of it here near the end, or you can kind of see what they made. But they made a, a kind of a, a modern rendition of the the Coco mascot from the manuals, and they actually made it from the Doctor Coco. Because depending what chapter you are, the the Coco took on different personalities. Like sometimes you wear a bow tie, and other times he's got a stethoscope and stuff. So. And of course, they're both doctors, so of course they went for the doctor one. But uh, I'll let them play the little intro here, and then I'll just fast forward and kind of see what they ended up making. It's one of those wacky things that they they they, they do that are just so much fun. Hey, Amy. Hey, <laughs> Taylor. How's it going? It's good. like giving away the hey, answer. You doing good? I'm doing good. Okay, I have a stack of books. Oh, it's oh, it's the fun of watching them build it though. That's oh the, yeah, I'm not going to play all that. And there's my own. I have the Odyssey words. 2 computer interface. But this is interesting seeing some of the other basic manuals as they appeared. The Practical Guide to the Tandy 1000 EX. This is way better than the Impractical Guide. I have <laughs> the American Spectrum. I have the Timex Sinclair ZX81. I don't own this computer, <laughs> but, but I have the manual. manual. When I run across them, oh, I buy them. Oh, they could have picked one up last year. Yeah. MC10, uh -huh. Aquarius, Naboo, the Mini Pet Kit, Mini -pet Commodore, User's Guide, and Programmer's Reference uh -huh. Guide, a dot matrix printer. I'm not sure how that got in there. And then our most recent. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love I love I love the I love manuals. manuals. But there's one manual, mm. and only one manual. Mm. Note this. Yes. What is this? What is that? That is an anthropomorphized color computer. <laughs> in this case, a two. Now. That's before they shrunk it down into the uh, combined both manuals into one. Okay. Mm. He's on the There's cover the two shrunk one. of your color computer, too, which I don't have. Anyway, you can watch the whole going through the manual and kind of going through the various... Uh, iterations of the character as it appears in the color basic manual extended basic manuals but they decided to build one in real life and i'll fast forward a bit here 
This involved a lot of work with pipe cutting and all kinds of things here. And they made a bow tie and little hands and everything else and put the cocoa on it. So uh, it's it's just a lot of fun. It's 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 a, it's one you're going to be smiling like crazy by the time you're done the video. That's about all I can say. Shades of Subitha. It's the new PVC nightmare. <laughs> so they're adding a third person to the Taylor and Amy show? Yeah, because I guess. The um, cocoa. I'm not sure if he's ready to operate yet or not, but uh... you know, too bad we didn't have some of Steve Bjork's uh, Halloween uh, driver boards. Oh they yeah, they had it talking and everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's an opportunity lost, unfortunately. Does anybody in the panel have any of his boards? Because he sold them commercially, didn't he? Um, I have one. And sadly, I haven't gotten around to using it because I had questions for him. And, well, I never got a chance to get those answers to my questions because, well, he kind of vanished. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the sad thing is, is that him and the other guy, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, uh, were both kind of the head of the haunt hackers. And both of them passed away recently. So mm -hmm. there's nobody to answer questions anymore. And I remember like uh, Alan Huffman had pointed out, and I think I mentioned last week, like his wasn't like a lot of the other ones. A lot of the other ones are based, based on volume levels to open and close mouths and blink eyes, which means you could play music through it and be sit there, you know, bobbing away its mouth type thing. Whereas uh, Steve did his based on the same algorithms he used for the audio spectrum analyzer cartridge he wrote, where it actually follows the waveforms and stuff to figure out what, you know, what is speech, what is not. And the, 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 uh, ma uh, the matching of the, mouth opening and closing on some of these uh, robots that he was using for this kind of stuff, it looks much more natural. It They're looks like it is something frequency than volume. Yeah. And also okay. the type of waveform and stuff like that. You can recognize yeah. a speech waveform versus say a music waveform, et cetera. Envelope. From what I gathered. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he did a much more sophisticated version. It was one of the reasons it was popular. Anyway, great fun video. Um, they've been really busy lately. They haven't been able to put out too much content. Um, so I'm, I'm really hoping that, uh, between me and Ken kind of bugging them, at least they can get a screenshot or something of trying to play space wreck. Cause I know that's one of their favorite games is the star Trek games on, uh, well, any platform. They, I don't think they've played that one before, even seen it before. So hopefully they have time to do it. I think it would check it out on their channel. Definitely. Uh, next up we've got, uh, if you're into learning a semi-language, uh, there's a whole plethora of, uh, videos that came out this week from a variety of people, including some people on the panel. So we'll be talking about that shortly. But the first one up here is uh, George Jansen, who's continuing his Kogel 3-themed uh, semi-language series. He's finished going through sprites and some of the graphic stuff on the Kogel 3, including high-res and MMU and stuff. And this time he's going through the Kogel 3 keyboard. This is reading the keyboard matrix. This includes the extra four keys that the Kogel 3 has compared to the Kogel 1 and 2, also on the deluxe. And um, basically how to do stuff like key bounce and you know, basically trying to read multiple keys at once and how you keep track of them. So uh, if you want to learn how to use the Kyoko 3 keyboard in assembly language, this is a perfect video to take a look at. Uh, Terra City Retro Programming uh, did an update to his Coke Ultimate. He's got the hit detection working now, uh, where you can actually attack the snakes. I don't know if it's really worth playing too much of it here, but he's got multiple snake enemies. And he's going to add more enemies later. If I keep striking in this area where the enemy used to be, I'm getting a false hit. So he's still got a little bit of debugging to do, but he's got it so you can actually attack the snake and hit it in the head and kill it, etc. So uh, even going in both directions and stuff. But 
know, gradually progressing. He's, he's finding out this is the first time he's really tried to do an arcade style uh, game. Uh, most of his stuff has been more adventurous type stuff, which is a bit more simpler to program, honestly. Um, so he's kind of learning the the pratfalls of, you know, trying to do point detection and stuff like that. And if they're slightly lined up wrong, it doesn't think it hit something, even though visually it looks like it should have. Um, Coco Town came out with his one on uh, going on to Assembly Language Sound Part 4. And this is where, if you watched his last one, he was getting some pretty square wavy sounding stuff here. And he got some tips from Simon and Paul Fiscarelli on how to do a proper, uh, what is it, oscillation wave or something? I can't remember what the exact term is, but basically it just helps smooth out the sound so that it sounds proper. And he's planning on getting some multi-voice stuff. He's hoping to get to it this episode, but he didn't. But he found a rather uh, obscure bug, which I did kind of guess before he announced what it was. Because he, he basically created three different waveforms when he switched over to doing a, a wider waveform. His original waveform, I think, was only eight bytes. Uh, the later one he did is 256 bytes, and then he uses fixed point math. So he's using a 16-bit number, which half is the actual pointer into the table, and the other half is the fraction. And you're adding fractional amounts depending on the frequency of the notes you're trying to play. And it'll, you know, kind of automatically shift its way through. So if you have a higher frequency, it'll skip more parts of the waveform because it has to process them faster. Uh, and then also the opposite direction doing for the, uh, you know, a lower pitch. Uh, but he had a little bit of a bug here on one of his waveform routines. He actually ended up using a, a load A or load B, A, comma, X or something like that, which is signed. And he points to the start of a 260 byte table. So as soon as it goes past the halfway point, it jumps backwards 120 bytes into whatever random garbage is in there. So he's getting some pretty bizarre results and he couldn't figure it out for a while. But now he's got it working. He actually played it through and uh, has some pretty smooth sounding, not not kind of like you know, tinny, distorted style stuff. Some and he promises the next gas. one is actually be covering his um, multi-voice because you know, he's shooting for a three or four voice running. And he's using the uh, the H-Sync interrupt in this, which unfortunately on the Coco 1 and 2 and 3 is hooked up to IRQ instead of, or, or sorry, Coco 1 and 2, I should say. It's hooked up to IRQ instead of FIRQ, which would have been a much, much better choice. Uh, so this way you have to basically overflow the time of the interrupt, which is 57 CPU cycles at 0.895 megahertz. And until you're just past that point, so you might even have to know up some things if you didn't quite need all the time. Otherwise, you'd be servicing the interrupt, doing your little routine, exiting the interrupt, and then you'd have like 10 cycles left to do anything before you get interrupted again. So basically what you do is you overflow it just past the full interrupt cycle, 57 cycles, then you return from your interrupt. And that gives you like 40 small cycles to do other stuff like graphics, AI, reading joysticks, keyboard, etc. The same technique that Nick used actually in Jumpin' Joey and Pipes to get his background sung. It also brings the IRQ, FR, uh, the IRQ to uh, around 7 kilohertz rather than 14. Yeah, yeah, basically cuts it in half. That's exactly what he's doing here. And he goes into he does nice little charts and a good sense of humor is going through it too. But uh, I'll, I'll play a little bit of the intro here. Just, and for those of you who have not seen him before, what his, his approach and styles Hello, like. and welcome to part four of the Assembly Language Sound series. When we last left our Assembly Language Sound code, we have a sine wave that sounded like this. Today, we're going to talk about why it sounds like that, and we're going to fix it. There's a lot to cover today, so we won't have time for chords like I thought we would, but they are coming soon. Today, I'm also going to talk about a bug that had me scratching my head for quite a while. It is the mystery of the phantom time-traveling square wave 
from the future. Ooh. Anyway, as you can tell, he definitely has a sense of humor when he's doing these. But uh, yeah, he goes through and explains and graphically displays like how, how the fixed point map is used to jump through the sine wave table data. Uh, you know, the higher pitch you get, the more distorted it gets compared to what a, a nice smooth sine wave sound like and explains why that is so. Anyway, it's, it's really good stuff. So, And we've actually got the star of this particular one here, Henry himself, the break key on YouTube. And he's working on his um, coding a whole fourth to be burned onto ROMs for a Cocoa 1 and 2. And uh, I, I paused it at this particular spot here because I want to show, uh, for those of you who not followed his uh, YouTube videos here, and right now he's actually working on getting the tokenized, you know, reading the tokens, the actual commands, et cetera, and also getting some of the math routines done. And I believe you're doing from two to 36 bit math. Yeah, base two to base 36. And that's, base, that's base actually two. fourth standard. Okay. Uh, but I, one thing I really liked in yours, and I think you showed this in a previous episode, but I don't think I've showed it on the news here, is your nice cursor you've got going here. It's kind of unique. I'm just going to put that in there. And I'm going to look at what this is. Four, five, ten, fourteen, eight. Also, you picked the uh, red, dark red background with the bright orange, which actually I find easier on the eyes than the green screen. So, uh, you know, the deluxe has the option of the blue, but the the red's actually pretty nice too. And I, I did notice like a color script set and a few others, like the original cartridge script set. I think I also used that. And I'm not sure why more people yeah. do not. That is a little bit easier. I find, to it to, I find it to A, be easier on the eyes um, because, I mean, blaze orange is always easier than nuclear green. And um, B, it's distinct enough that you that you know you're not in color basic yeah 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 actually that's what tandy was doing with the deluxe too because they were gonna have basic boot beat green screen like it always did but os9 was gonna boot straight into the blue screen as mm -hmm. an option so now you do your cross development in lwsm i believe oh uh, no actually i'm using uh i'm using uh kieran's uh 60 uh asm 6809 oh okay And like fourth has got several uh, versions, to, you know, based on the spec, depending on what year the spec was released. Are you shooting for a particular level of fourth? I'm not sure what level I'm going for. The one that I found that seems to have at least the bit depth, uh, the bit width that um, I'm looking at is um, argue fourth. So it's going to be a little bit more minimalistic. Um we're looking at a 16-bit word as compared to having a 32 or 64-bit word, but um, of course the of course the implementation is going to be as modern as possible without overstepping how much I can actually do with the with the uh, memory considerations. And for those of you that are not familiar with Fourth, like Fourth was, uh, I think the only home computer I can remember that came with Fourth Standard, I think, was the Jupiter Ace, which almost nobody ever bought. Um, but basically, it's it's uh, Polish notation style, which uh, I'll let you explain to people what exactly that is. But it was also supposed to be very fast because you're basically compiling your own commands as you go. You're kind of building. If you want to explain every kind of what fourth single, is to people you know, that don't know, yep. Every single per, every single uh, piece of piece of software that you write in the fourth environment, when you when you create and what's called a new word, you're actually compiling that word. And if you're referencing other words, all you're doing is you're doing jump to subroutines. So everything is put together in fourth as machine language. Um, so it's not necessarily like, oh, I'm writing assembler in fourth. No, you're using machine language routines that have already been written at the lower level 
and just calling them directly, much like you do with basic, but instead of like having to do a whole bunch, instead of having to go through the interpreter every time, those calls are compiled in automatically. Yeah. So you're kind of and, like live compiling as you're creating new, new tokens, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, the beauty of the beauty of using something that's reverse Polish notation, as it were, is there's no associativity, which means you don't have to worry about what what gets added first, the first plus or the second plus. You tell it when to do it. You know, if you want to do one, two plus three plus, add one and two and then add three. Or if you want to do one, two, three plus plus, where you add two and three and then add one. You know, it's doing doing calculation stack stack based. I've seen so many engineers online who have been like, once I went RPN, I never went back. And having grown up with RPN. When I was introduced to a fourth environment, I'm like, this comes together so quickly. And it really does, because the only thing that would possibly be faster to faster to really like grok and implement is going, uh, in my opinion, is going to be a functional language like uh, Lisp once you start getting into it. It's that initial learning curve that gets you. Okay. Now, you're designing this with the Cocoa 1 and 2, obviously, and you want this as a replacement ROM. So are you planning on trying to fit it into an 8k rom to give yourself more space for the programs or are you going to do a 16k rom like the equivalent of extended basic or even well, a cartridge roms the, up to 24 or 32 or something the way that the uh, the way that the coco's put together um i'm i might as well just go ahead and use 16k if i need to because if you're just if you've got it in the standard memory mapping form without going to all ram mode you've only got 32k of ram that you can play with to begin with so there's no sense in not using the full 16K of ROM. And then the other thing that I was thinking about doing and moving forward with this is instead of accessing the rest of the RAM with going into all RAM mode, figuring out a way to page over so that I can so that I can uh, swap out instead instead of like, okay, we're using 32K banks and just bank that out because the SAM's already built to do that. And you can bank the ROM, you can bank the 32K RAM, the two different 32Ks on the bottom of the map, for example, leave the ROMs in the whole time, which is what the Deluxe does yep. for its RAM drive. Or you can yep. just, you know, swap the whole thing in as one 64K RAM space. Yep, exactly. And I kind of wanted you to explain that because I noticed there were some comments on your video, like when in, on Facebook and some people was asking, like, what does that have to do with the Cocoa? Obviously, I didn't watch it because there's a Cocoa screen sitting right here. But um, <laughs> I also don't think they're familiar with Fourth because there's been multiple Fourth interpreters for the Cocoa before. We had one by Hoyt Stearns Electronics in our computer club that we bought in 82. And it had a mm -hmm. semi-graphics 12 editor, so you could actually have a little underlying character under each character as you moved your editor. So you could still see the character under it rather than a cursor mm -hmm. that blocks it right out. So it was kind of nice. But I, I never really wrapped my head around it. A friend of mine, Dwayne, actually got further into it. He actually wrote some stuff on it, and he, he quite liked it at the time. Um, yeah, except uh, let's that, see. Dave, Dave Lord in the uh, in the comments is saying uh, Fig Fourth was on a Coco. Yeah, but, there's um, even yeah, a version of Fourth in OS 9, too. That, uh, that I, think, I can't remember if I'm putting on this version of EOU that's coming up or the one after it, because I'm kind of dividing it into chunks here, because otherwise I'd be just sitting here doing stuff forever, and you guys would never see anything. It's a fun language to play with. Unfortunately, not much has been done with it in the in the mainstream. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, how can I make this an effective and a fast uh, programming language where you can actually write games in it? I've never been a game programmer, but if I can get effective and fast games written in it, that will be very, very helpful. Yeah. I think the main thing that most of the force on the Coco, most of them only did semi-graphics or text or stuff like that. And you basically, if you wanted to do graphics or sound routines, you had to write them from yourself. 
And you'd have to have some machine language skill to do that as well. So if, if you're going to do that, some people just said, oh, screw it. I'm just straight to machine language. I have to do half of it in it anyway. If you have a good oh, yeah. set of, of, of tokens already made for doing graphics and sound specifically, I think that might be the tipping point where people will give it a good try. I might have to work on a tiling system. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Like literally that would, I think, get a lot of people interested in it because then they don't have to write all those low-level routines. Yeah. Um, you can do like sprite masking and you know that kind of stuff. Tiles, as you mentioned, background sound yep. with an interrupt or something like that. I think that would, yep. if you can get that kind of stuff working, I think a lot of people would take, give it a shot. That would even be if the math everybody. part looks weird if you're not used to the reverse post notation, which would be me. Since I've since I've been using this thing for as long as I can remember, <laughs> I mean literally as long as I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I know this one took you longer than you were expecting. It's been a fair bit of time since your previous video. Was that just due to like real life interfering or is this you were trying to sort out how you're doing things that just took longer to make the video? Or It was a combination of real life and the fact that that was easily, um, easily three or four videos that I wrapped into one. And I'm realizing that now that I've got to make my chunks smaller if I'm going to release on a reasonable scale. Okay. I mean, one one thing that's really cool is that we've got so many assembly language tutorial things that you're showing people how to write a fourth language interpreter and screen editor and everything else that goes with it. And we've got George doing the you know the machine language Coco three stuff, and we've got Coco Town doing machine language Coco one two stuff specifically for writing games, and you know some of the stuff that you got covered. So uh, this has been like one of the best times for getting tutorials done. It's it's like having Rainbow with like three different sets of articles. You know, William Barton's writing this one and. Uh, Charlie for Foresight's writing this one, and you know, they all the different people you know, with the different approaches type thing. So it's really cool that we're getting all this regular content. And then we've got some people doing basic programming, like Jersey Retro Programming, too. And, and Alan Huffman's doing you know, basic series right now on another game that he's porting back to the Coco One from a Coco Three game and stuff. So it's a great time to learn. So anybody out there in the listening land or listens to this, you know, show, you know, way after its release date. And wants to get into uh, you know programming either from basic or from the same language or you know, I'm assuming you'll be teaching some fourth later on as you, as your fourth interpreter gets done. Um, it's it's really cool to have all the stuff happening now and people can just follow you know subscribe to each of these channels and you can actually pick them up as soon as they come out and learn. And then you guys can all write all kinds of stuff. It doesn't have to be just games. Next, this was supposed to be for Mark Oberoser. Unfortunately, had to leave, but um, basically, we had our virtual Cocoa Fest last weekend that started after the the regular show for the most part. And there was, I think, one presentation on Saturday and I think four on Sunday. I didn't catch all of them live, unfortunately, because I was kind of busy. But um, you can see a few of them here. So we got uh, Thomas Shanks on the Co Pico project. Uh, Rick Euland and Henry Strickland did uh, Cocoa IO and related projects. And I actually missed the beginning. I went, still haven't had a chance to go back yet. Uh, so, Rick, since you're here, you can at least talk about this particular one. So what did you guys cover on this particular? Well, um, basically, where do you start? Everything. <laughs> so I've done a couple of things on. Uh, Henry's done three different things, I guess. He's got the boot from a boot ROM system. Then he's got. The OS9 utilities so that you have things like DIG and NTP and GFTP for OS9. And then he's done just some side experiments with you can download videos and stream stream videos onto the Google and stuff like that. 
So there's sort of three product categories there, and we just kind of rambled on around between them. So uh, it's hard to uh, summarize it short of the entire time that we spent talking about it, to tell you the truth. So, so the, the hardware at this point is pretty stable and, and seems to be working now. It's, it's the software drive, or is there still some hardware bits yes, to work out? We have now fixed the hardware problems, and it works everywhere all the time. And we've added a boot ROM to it, which also works. So it could be used for your own private storage um, with details to follow. The one, the one so, cool thing I found was you guys actually booted Nitrous 9, ease of use, over the, the net from a different yeah, city. When, <laughs> when, he says, when he says boot from ROM, he doesn't mean boot from ROM from a PC that's carefully tending it. This is go out on the Ethernet and boot from New York City or wherever the heck. So, you know, there is a security issue here. You might want to make sure. Also, it's a little bit slow at this point, but you guys haven't optimized for speed yet. It was just to get it working. A little bit slow in that it's like floppy speed. So, yeah. The fact you actually booted up a Cocoa with your card and then booted Nitrous 9 from a server in New York while you're in Wisconsin. (laughs) And and it ran totally off of the network. There's no drives hooked up or nothing. That was cool. Right, and you do procs, and yeah, it takes a second because it's got to download procs from New York. <laughs> yeah, and then download the hour, then actually display then the process list from New York. New York from <laughs> Wisconsin. So yeah, it worked surprisingly well, and uh, he's he's working on turning this into you know less than a demo. So for instance, you could run OS nine hosted on a server in New York City or wherever, and you don't have any local storage at all. Yeah, it could just be a little ROM cart with the terminal program. You're still kind of running at at floppy drive speed, and you're editing and saving files that are remote. And all you need is the Cocoa, the Cocoa, and a cable to your Your local network. You can do it wirelessly at that point. Well, yeah. But, you know, that's the thing. It requires an external dongle to be wireless, and everyone wants to be wired by now. And yeah. Now, how much do you know about Thomas Shank's Co-Pico project? Henry's been helping him with that one too. Have you been privy to any of that stuff? I, I didn't want to read too much. Know too much about that one. The little bit I know is he's going to sort of combine the software that goes with Cocoa IO with just sort of a shove it all into a Cocoa into a you know Raspberry Pi and let it do the heavy lifting. So you'll have kind of the best of both worlds there, and that you can have the the wireless features that a pie, a local pie can bring you and still get the, like playing with the ethernet on OS nine that, that I'm delivering. So, okay. It's, it's, now there's also, um, there are the other three that happened. Uh, Thomas Cherry Holmes came in to talk about Fujinet and he did some demos. That one, I only caught the tail end of that one too. Um, and of course, Fujinet's cross-platform. That's one of its big advantages. And it can also pull programs and run them from across the network too. But it's so uh, I think one of the main goals right now, and Mark Overs could have spoke to this better than I can, but it's basically they're trying to get it running on a variety of platforms from the Clico Atom to the Apple II to the Atari 8-bits. And they can eventually set it up in such a way that you can have common packet formats between different machines to do head-to-head games where you're playing the Cocoa version of a racing game against the Apple version and you're playing over the network, um, you know, not just local network, but you can, you can probably do it over the uh, you know the wide network like you guys did booting Nitrous Nine. You can actually play head to head against people with other computers, all on retro hardware, uh, which is kind of cool too. And then um, Paul Fiscarelli did one on disk imaging with a grease weasel. 
Uh, I caught parts of that one too. Uh, David Ladd, if you're still on the call, I think you were in the chat for that and you probably know more about the grease weasel than anything else. Do you know what Paul was specifically talking about on that or is David still here? I should probably have asked that first. If he's not here. He gave a little history about the different versions of the grease weasel, you know, going back to the, some of the earlier versions. Like the cat weasel? Uh, yep. Some of the cat weasel and some of the different uh, hardware uh, that, that was used up to the grease weasel. And then he explained the functionality of the grease weasel. But then he spent the latter part of the show showing his project that he's working on that's more cocoa specific, that makes it a little bit easier to use the grease weasel just to read cocoa discs. That's a project that he's working on. He's not finished with it yet, but it gives it more of a gooey type of interface uh, to the grease weasel if you're trying to when you're trying to read discs. Oh, okay, that's cool. Because that that like I, I did mention the chat when I did end up joining, but um, the grease weasel that David Ladd had at Cocoa Fest actually helped me recover some original source code by the original author of the ice hockey game on the Cocoa back from '83, and the disc was in pretty rough shape. And I was actually surprised, but he got it completely off and uh, it's now in the archive and you can download it because we got permission to release it. So, and then the last one that's listed here, uh, Julian Brown, uh, working on uh, the dragon 32. And he's one of the two that has been doing dragon repro motherboards. Uh, John Whitworth is the other one. One's doing the, or sorry, Karen uh, is the other one. And one's doing the dragon 64. One's doing the dragon 32. Uh, Julian's doing the dragon 32. Karen's doing the dragon 64. These are basically kind of like what, uh, Pedro's been doing with the, uh, Cocoa motherboard duplication, so we can actually recreate the motherboards from scratch. So you don't have to find an, a Cocoa on eBay for $400 or something ridiculous. You can actually just get the board, and as long as you get the chips, you can put them in. I don't know what his talk was about. I only cut snippets of it. I actually had it streaming, but then I got busy doing other things. I didn't get a chance to actually watch it while it was streaming, so I missed a good chunk. Did anybody here catch that one and knows exactly what it was all talked about? Or is Julian in the chat? Sometimes he is. Brian, did you catch that one or no? Um, yeah, I did catch uh, pieces of it. He was talking about his boards, and then he was also talking about his um, uh, NTSC and PAL boards that he's trying to uh, iron out uh, uh, some wrinkles uh, that he has with uh, with those. And just uh, I don't remember exactly all what it, what was was talked about. I do remember him talking about uh, about that part of his project. Okay, yeah, I remember. I've seen on his Facebook posts on the Dragon Group about the PAL and NTSC because he's making those little daughter board. You know, separate boards you can just add into the the main motherboard that he's got created. You don't have to like in, integrate it in. You just pick which one you want to display on, and away you go. And he also hey. spent some time oh. talking about the fact that uh, with his design that he has, he has a, a lot of free real estate on the board. So with the idea that um, other projects could be developed instead of having it as a uh, separate daughter board, it could be literally integrated right into this board. Yeah, I remember he was mentioning about integrating the AY chip, kind of like the Deluxe did, or maybe even two of them to do stereo, Yeah, amongst other things. Anyway, uh, if you go to the Coco Nation uh, page on YouTube and you go into the latest videos, you'll see those here. Now, you have to go into the live tab for most of these. They haven't been moved over to the regular video section yet because uh, they were streamed live, so they appear in the live, and I really wish YouTube would let you mix those two, but they don't. Um, but if you want to actually catch up and... and you know, catch up on all what you missed on those. The, each presentation was roughly an hour, some are a little bit under, some are a little bit over. Um, but they're all very interesting. And there's a, definitely a theme of networking. That was just about everybody was talking about networking and all their different things. Um, I think just the Grease Weasel and the uh, Dragon 32 uh, reproduction, the only two out of the five that did not concentrate more on the networking side of things. So networking is definitely coming along 
big time in, in a variety of formats and a variety of form factors with a variety of people. And Henry Strickland seems to evolve into almost all. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the and the one question I never got a definitive answer is, is when can I browse eBay on my cocoa for cocoa stuff? That's that's what I want to know. When I... <laughs> well, well, coming soon, shall we say? <laughs> We're working on the mechanism for doing that. Yeah. So you go check out the Coco Nation um, on 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 YouTube. Um, I did, were these simultaneously broadcast on Twitch and stuff too? I don't even know. I believe they were. I think they went out to our whole. They went through the whole Twitch, Facebook, well, and but now YouTube. You, know, you go here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey, go check those out. There's definitely some really cool stuff going on in the Coco world and the world of hardware and um, and the world of software. In case in case of Paul Fiscarelli. Uh, that one already covered, so let's skip that. Okay, next up we've got in the Multimedia One computer, the MM1, which uh, some people are in the Coco in the 90s will remember this. This was one of the claimed Coco 4s, and probably the most popular of them, to be honest. Um, so in this case here, Joel Evie, who's actually been working with this, and I was hoping David would be here to talk about this as well. Uh he done some previous posts here on the blue SCSI SD card readers, and he's replaced his original SCSI drive, which was dying on him. And he managed to copy everything off on the SD, and it's you know basically ties into the SD or uh, the SCSI controller, so it still works with the MM1 as if nothing's changed. Uh, but he's found out since he did the original one that these are hot swappable, although he doesn't recommend you try to read or write to the SD card while it's not in there. But that means if you are testing something, let's say you cross-compiled something or LWASM, something that you want to run on M1, maybe LWASM doesn't do 68,000, but something like that. You can actually just pull the SD card out while the M1's still on, copy the changes onto the SD card, put it back in, and just continue on as if nothing happened, rather than have to power the whole machine down and reboot it with the new image type thing like I'm doing on my Coco SDC. So that's that's kind of cool. I, I don't want to risk that in mind because I want to corrupt all my disk images in case that doesn't work on the Coco one. But uh, I was not aware the Blue SCSI had that. I guess some people that have Blue SCSI and some of the other platforms that it supports, like the Mac and stuff, have actually known this for a while and use that to their advantage, especially when doing test code and stuff. So that's pretty cool. And uh, But he did try it, and it does work. He, it's hot swappable. So that's cool. Next up, uh, David Collins in the Motorola 6809-6800, a similar language programming group on Facebook, has an update on his. And if Frederick, I don't know if he's still in the chat, I think he was pretty busy today. Uh, but it's kind of, he, he's one of the two people doing a uh, homebrew 6309 system design. Now, what he's done here is a lot rather interesting. So he's, and I'll just kind of quote what he's uh, put in his post here in the group on Facebook. He said the uh, 639 code can, can load code to the CPU at boot up. This is fantastic news. It basically means the system can boot itself from RAM only. So it's a whole range of possibilities, not the least of which is significantly more OS support due to the expanded area that can be used as RAM. Things are looking really awesome right now. And then he added a bit more detail a little bit later. It says self-staging is achieved. I managed to squeeze a small reloadable loader, 46 bytes, into the small space of memory that the AVR has access to, which is roughly 48 bytes, not counting the complete reset vectors block. Now, I'm not familiar with the AVR. Is that a controller chip or something? I'm not sure what that is. Anybody here on the panel know what that is? No, but uh, it's cool that he took that little bit of RAM. Because, I mean, you get to it, a 68 line is always RAM only. 
you've you've mapped ROM into RAM space. You've mapped yeah, because most six eight hundred six hundred machines require a ROM boot to at least start doing something, whether it's where basic. Do you or, get that? Well, the question is, where do you get that little bit of code to start with? And you never had that before. And the fact well, that's that where this AVR make, like it. It seems to be a chip that has a little bit of RAM on it, but not enough that normally would be considered useful. Forty eight bytes, right? But <laughs> just forty six bytes, and yeah, you you start. But the way he actually gets it to load is kind of interesting. It's not like it just copies it into RAM. It at, well, it kind of does later on. But the way he actually presents it to get it started, and I'll just read his little details here for those who are not on the video. Uh, AVR resets and halts CPU shortly after power on, which tri states the bus. Step two, AVR tests to see if the RAM or ROM is slotted over the reset vector. And if it was ROM, I just run normally like normal ROMs do. Three, AVR loads the loader code to the top of memory and lets the CPU free run. The 609 runs a small program and copies itself to the fixed bank. It then modifies itself to load down code from the AVR as a peripheral. And step five, the data from the AVR, be it from internal EEPROM or SD card, is loaded to the top of memory, and when it's completely copied, the system resets, rebooting or booting the stage code. No latches or anything. The CPU stages itself without the need to feed it opcodes or a single step the clock. And then he's got links to his GitHub and stuff that you, you can get to here. So it sounds like it's kind of doing this little mini loader thing off of this I/O chip or whatever the AVR chip is, without an actual ROM bootstrap of any sort, and mm-hmm. kind of just starts copying you know little bits over and kind of creates mm-hmm. its own boot as it goes. And then creates its, quote, ROM, unquote, and then resets and boots from the, quote, ROM, unquote, which is actually RAM that it had just copied. Yeah, so basically it doesn't even need a ROM boot. It's just this little tiny little snippet of code that kind of makes you know, its own, grabs yeah. the rest. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting technique. I was going to talk about Frederick about this because he's probably much more familiar with this kind of thing. And he's doing, you know, his own 6 or on, you know, homebrew computer, too, so. Next up, for those of you who want retro multimedia. Uh, Michael Pitts, who's done a lot of these videos before, he's covered a lot of the uh, multimedia educational software that was put out by Tandy back in the day. Uh, the last batch he did recently was actually working with stuff from Dorset Educational Systems, um, which actually did cross-platform releases of multimedia educational stuff too back in the day. So these are from the, the 1982 to 1984 timeframe. But he put out a bunch more here this last week uh, based on some of the other ones that Dorset released. Um, and there's a couple two-parters he's basically got going here and then some later ones too. So he's got a two-part algebra course, a two-part reading comprehension course, a two-part spelling course, and then two more parts, which is parts nine and 10 of the United States history course. Um, now these are basically low or high-risk graphics uh, running with some machine language programs to display stuff pretty fast. I think some of it's basic too. And then it's it's the cassettes that for these are actually a mixture of code with audio. So you'd load in a program, which it loads in some graphics to demonstrate stuff and animate whatever you want to show. And then it would do the motor on audio on and then actually have the spoken voice of the teacher or professor or whatever, whoever did the recording, explaining what you're seeing while it's doing the animations and stuff so that you're actually getting like a literal multimedia experience off cassette in 1982 to 1983. And uh, they're pretty, they're pretty cool, I have to say, Um I, I probably should, you know, because I think the last time we covered this, we didn't really play anything. So maybe I'll grab one. Um, spelling's going to be kind of boring, I think. Algebra's probably the same thing. So I'll do some United States history. Let's start the uh, reconstruction area. I'll just play a little bit so you can kind of get an idea. So it's a preloaded some of the graphics and, you know, a nice big bold font. When 
the Civil War was over, the federal government had to reconstruct or rebuild the southern states in the Union. After their defeat, the southern states felt that they should be treated as states. But Congress, now controlled by radical Republicans, contended that they had lost their political rights and should be treated as territories which must be readmitted to the Union. I'm not going to do the whole history lesson here, but you can kind of see how it's integrating, you know, graphical presentations and, and text on the screen to kind of, you know, reinforce in your brain what you're listening to. But then you also get the audio. Um, and there, there's a lot of like, there's they've done some younger kid stuff that has, you know, more sound effects and stuff rather than straight text and stuff. But, uh, you know, proper multimedia with CD-ROM stuff didn't come for another decade or so after this. But this was the way of doing it back in the day with, with cassette based. And if you did the timing right, I mean, the time timings between different tape recorders was a little bit different. So sometimes, sometimes it got thrown a little bit off, but they usually put enough gaps around. Would usually work if you had a CTR 51 versus a CCR 82, or even some third party cassette recorder, it usually wasn't too far off. So these actually work quite well. I did uh, fiddle around with a few of them in the store back in the day. They had like reading programs for stuff like Hound of the Baskervilles and Sherlock Holmes. They had discovery of Pluto, which is one of Ron's favorites. Um, with Clyde Tombaugh himself actually doing the, the audio for that too. So it, it, it was a fascinating bit of history and kind of pre was a precursor to the whole CD-ROM educational multimedia and the whole creation of multimedia itself. So really cool seeing the early history of that. But anyway, there's a ton of videos there. If you want to check some of that stuff out, see what it was like. It's awesome. It's hard to get these on the archive because we don't really have a format that has a cassette image with mixed audio that is supposed to play through the speaker as well as, you know, the actual data files for the different chunks of the code. It's got to load as it's going along. I don't know if that's something anybody's working on, or maybe there's one that I'm unaware of that actually interlaces those two well enough to actually present these, that you can actually try them in real time in an emulator. But it'd be really cool if somebody did. Next up, this is a channel I'd not seen before called the Hayden Walt Bradley channel, and he just does reviews of collections of things. And this particular one, he's kind of uh, focused on like what a school kid might have done. So it's basically he's got like a pencil sharpener, electric pencil sharpener they happen to pick up. And he's got a book uh, called Personal Computers, What They Are and How to Use Them by Ron G. Wells, which is a fairly old one. He's got a manual for the TI-35 plus calculator. And then he's got the uh, Getting Started with Extended Color Basic, the Coco 2 manual and the Coco 2 itself. And he actually plugs it in, turns it on. Um, now, he doesn't have a screen that's uh, capable of playing it yet but he did hear the relay click so i left him a comment i said if you want to test to see if it's actually working like functioning without having a screen just type motor on if it clicks again then basics working ram's working when it's pretty well pretty well assured that it's actually functioning then he just has to find a compatible tv or monitor next up is terry steggy still here or is he busy cleaning furry oh, creatures sorry <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to mute the sound here. I don't know if that's a copyrighted song or not. It might be free reign, but I'd rather have you talk over it anyway. But this is your original video of the two Cocos, including the one you're working on live right now that we showed earlier with uh, Critter Traces in it. Yeah. It's but actually, but we, uh, we didn't see your, yours until you'd already had it apart. You had already had the case and stuff cleaned up. So I want to play the video here while you're talking about this project and what how it came about and what, what your ultimate goal is. So you can see what the... Cocos look like that you received in their original state before you got started. Sure. So this uh, this showed up from um, a gentleman I'd been talking to on a uh, uh, auction site. 
They were in really, really rough shape. Um, I'm not sure where in the heck they were really used. He didn't know too much of the history of them, but I've, uh, since this video, uh, took them completely apart, stripped them down, degreased them. They had a smell of, like I said, diesel and all kinds of stuff. Um, they looks like they, uh, might've been slid around a little bit. Uh, on something I don't know what they did to them, but anyway, um, they're uh, they're coming along. Um, let's see here. Now the one case looks much more damaged than the other one. Just looks like scratches and scuffs and yellowing and dirt. And the other one actually is cracked in multiple spots, isn't it? It's cracked, and I actually have it here. Um, they go through a fire. No, I think they ran the CNC machine at the shop or something. That or some kind of grinder was next to them. <laughs> yeah, they're... Uh... I'll stop sharing so you can kind of show, because you said you have the like, one case or something you wanted to show. Yeah. There we go. I am not sure if... Want to zoom them up, Mark? Come through, but... Uh, yeah, hang on. Okay, there we go. Get her in the right place here. So yeah, um, it's got a pretty bad crack here. And There's then chunks missing it. too on the top <laughs> and the grill. Someone at the shop dropped an engine part on that one. I do have this piece. I will try to JB weld and, and get that ground and right. But yeah, what's what I thought on this one was weird. I don't know if that's gonna let me see if I can turn it here. <laughs> well, JB weld, you're gonna need some bondo on that one. You see this? Uh, it's all warped. It's like it got really hot. That's all melted. Well, no, that's when the engine part sat on it, it's kind of curved the side out. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I noticed the bottom of the other one also looked a little warped. Let's see. It actually is not too bad. There are a couple cracks in it, but um, I think that could have just been from the video uh, how I had done it. But um, the bottom of the other one too was broken. I have since um, got all the keys off. They're clean. There's <clears throat> some of those. Um, I don't know if that's probably going to come in, but they're they got like burn marks, like maybe metal. I think Rick might be right. Maybe <laughs> welding slag has gotten on them. But uh, um, let me switch over. I have since got. They've had a hard life. They have had a hard life. Yeah. I've got the uh, both motherboards. Actually, they look pretty good now, other than there's, of course, some rust on the uh, anything that's metal. I'm not sure if I'm going to take those off <clears throat> and try to sandblast them. I'm not sure how important that would be. But uh, all the traces, actually, after, <laughs> now that I can see them, look um, pretty pretty good, actually, for the age and the abuse they went through. And let's see, what else? The keyboards now, um, when I play with the keys in the bezels, actually move up and down. They don't stick. <laughs> nice. They're not getting stuck in fur anymore, is what you're saying. Right. A couple yeah. of, uh, do have a little bit of a burn on that. I'm not, that actually looks like cigarette, to be honest. But um, now it's ready for uh, Rick's uh, upgrade. Yeah. All right, when your milers don't work, we'll fix you. I was actually surprised. The uh, let's see if I can get those over here. Yeah, Mylars actually aren't 
horrible. They they were filthy, of course, but um, not all browned and burnt. Yeah, they. Uh, I, I'm going to probably use some. I don't know, Rick Windex. I was thinking maybe to clean some of that off on the inside uh, after. Nothing, nothing. Water or nothing. Don't don't get any kind of detergent or anything else inside there. Okay, that's fair. So anyway, those both look pretty good. Um, again, have not put power to this thing or tested them or anything. So oh, that should all fly. <laughs> yeah. I have been trying to video it as I do it, but <laughs> well, I know uh, what's going on. It's been when, you, when you're not constant. gagging about some of the stuff you found in it anyway. Right? Yeah, get my uh, tetanus shot. It don't, it don't live because it's been at a constant temperature, very, very hot. Right. So anyway, that's uh, kind of my project I'm working on, getting back into doing some of these things. <laughs> now, for the case that's actually cracked and missing chunks, uh, David Lord's mentioning the 8-bit guy had a method to replace ABS chunks on one of his restorations that actually looked very good. I don't think I've seen that particular episode, but, but do you have any plans for the one that actually has missing pieces of plastic versus just cracked? Yeah, I've actually got some uh, um, modeling um, plastic I was going to play with. I thought about maybe mm -hmm. trying to make something with my 3D printer, but this case is pretty trashed. I think I'm going to, like I said, Frankenstein it. and This might be the... Uh, egg maybe there's, maybe there's something available at the uh, next Cocoa Fest. I don't know right. if I'm going to have time to do that, but it, it might be. We'll see. <laughs> the one I would like to get done, and I was going to give that away at Coco Fest, the clean one, um, just because I, I have plenty of cocoa too. <laughs> so, but I saw these poor things and said, no, nope, someone's got to take care of them. So, nice. Anyway, that's what uh, what I'm working on. Thanks, Curtis. Okay. So we'll follow your progress. I'll get some more videos posted. I've been really, really lax at doing videos. So hopefully here soon, I'll get that back on track. <laughs> okay. And no, that was not Weasley's warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot to turn the graphic off. Oh, <laughs> stagey storage. <laughs> they didn't even notice. <clears throat> no, I went out on the stream, but not on Zoom. After today, it might have been Terry's Terrible Creatures. I don't know. Terry's, <laughs> <laughs> Terry's Terrible Lunch. Terrible Tarantula. <laughs> there you go. That might have been it. <laughs> okay, so next up is a, a rather short video by a YouTube channel called Suburban Relics, which I'm guessing means he's just collecting you know, old stuff. Now he's got a Coco one here and it's an older style one. Cause that's the Ram badge still on it. And it's actually got an HGL 57 keyboard on it. And he's got the Tandy diagnostic cartridge uh, on it. And he doesn't have any commentary or anything. I'm not going to play it. Cause he, he, he finds out that the diagnostic card has options to hit keys to play notes. And he had too much fun with that. And he's not musically inclined. Um, but I will play a little bit of the beginning here. Cause he's kind of just testing to make sure the machine works. Um, and uh, that's not too often I see one of the old style Coco ones with an HGL, but there's the diagnostic cart, the original 1980 version of it. Oh, yeah, I remember that sound. 
I remember this thing only registered up to 16K too, right? Like if you had more than 16K, yeah. they had no idea. Yeah, it was just a Coco one. Goes through the graphics zone. So anyway, it seems to be fully functional. So, and I know uh, Retro Rewind now sells an updated version of the diagnostic cart that actually knows about 64K RAM, knows about Coco 3s, knows about 8 meg upgrades in Coco 3s, etc. So you can actually uh, yeah. get that and you can actually test all your Cocos and do RAM tests, etc. with that too. I got to get me one of those. Ken, you, do you have any spares left still, or did you sell those? I have none left, but I'm pretty sure that um, there's this event coming up, Coco Fest, that oh, <laughs> Frank will be at. It, I think he might have a few of them there. Yeah, and if if you can't make Coco Fest, you can order them online at retrorewind.ca. Yep. Yeah, but the shipping's cheaper at Coco Fest. Yeah. Well, in some ways. But you cannot use a discount code at Coco Fest. Well, that's okay. Do they ship UPS? <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Did you see Exile in Paradise's comment in the chat? So this week on Them's Good Eaten, what has Terry found in his computer now? <laughs> <laughs> I think I just threw up in my mouth a little bit with that one. But. <laughs> Okay, next up, we got Alan Huffman. He's got part five of Let's Write Lights Out in Basic. Now, this is based on a game that's a common one, I guess, of Cracker Barrels. It's uh, one of the games on the table. And uh, the original Coco 3 port of this was done by Rick Adams. And uh, Alan is currently working on backporting it to a Coco 1 and 2 in low-res graphics. And he's on part five now. And he's still got a couple parts left to go. This one kind of just goes through different changes to code. And he's trying to make it so it'll have variable sizes that you can play different size playboards. Um, getting the scoring and stuff working here. So it's kind of a running blog on, on getting this converted back to run in semi-graphics from the original Coco 3 high-res graphics. So. And you can see a little tiny screenshot there of the Coco 3 version that Rick did, which looks actually quite some, similar to his uh, Kokodal, which is uh, the Wordle clone that he did. And I ported the Nitro 9, a slightly older version of it. Then for the MC10, we've got a couple. Uh, Mark Dusko has uh, said, after spending some time uh, looking into the video circuitry of his MC10, I found a way to modify my NTSC MC10 for composite audio and video. But now, obviously, Ed Snyder, on rare occasions, will have these available on his site, and some other people have done as well. There's also the Coco VGA option from Brendan. Um, he said, I thought I'd share what I did, even though I'm a little reluctant because the results of this could vary depending on the output device. I tried it on two different analog TVs, and it looks great. On three different LCD TVs, the results were definitely usable, but one definitely was better than the other two. And we've, I think we've all encountered that, hooking up LCDs. You know, some that are a bit, I mean, the Coco and the MC10s probably isn't the perfect, in, you know, composite signal to begin with. Um, and, and some of the LCDs, you know, are pretty far off. They're more meant for modern, you know, HDMI style type stuff. But he does uh, put some pictures up. And this actually does look pretty nice and clean here, honestly. Um, the colors look right, too. Obviously, it's a little bit of, you know, because he's taking an angle, it's going to be a little bit off, but it's basically getting the eight standard colors pretty well, correct? There's the mods he did to the RF can to do it. And he's fully willing to give out the um, the the specs here if somebody wants to just make this themselves instead of, you know, trying to buy a, a ready-done converter board. And if you want to ask any questions, if you go on the MC10 group on Facebook, he's fully willing to answer them. He's actually answered several people's questions on it already. 
And the last two we've got for today or this week are on the dragons. The first one is from a YouTube channel with a rather strange name called Mostly Horses and Retrocomputing, or M-H-A-R-C for short. That's a rather odd combination, but uh, unique. And basically, he picked up uh, a Dragon 32 uh, recently with some software and stuff with that came with it. And he did kind of like the first look opening the box video and kind of figure where he's going with it. So I'll play a little bit. And you can kind of see what a little bit of what he got here. Uh, but if you want to go through the full thing, and if, yeah, if you're an expert on Dragon stuff, he has some questions on Dragon stuff. So you can answer his questions in the comments or maybe give him some tips as he goes. It is a Dragon 32. So uh, looks like it's... Slightly yellow, you can't really see from the camera. It's in pretty good shape. That's pretty white. That's not too yellow yet. About that, I think there's wet lighting. white stuff which has been talked about. So I have to come oops, back to that. Let's just uh, have a look to see what we've got. It's actually lighter. This is definitely in much better shape than Terry's Cocos, I say. Oh, by the way, Frank uh, from Co Retro Rewind says in the chat, he says, we charge more for we shipping at Coco Fest. Those snap-on case things are really a bit cool. Yellow. It'll cost you a couple glasses of beer afterwards, uh, at least. So we've got some other bits. So uh, the introduction to basic programming. Off of sort of just a tad here. So he's got the manual for the actual uh, Dragon itself. He got some uh, books with it, too. Dragon 32 uh, Book of Games. The Dragon joysticks, which are kind of like our Black Beauties, except they actually have a kind of a holding Dim. handle because they're quite long. Dim sockets. I think it got some software too. I remember. That graphic animator. He's got uh, Learn, so he's got some educational software. He's got the official Frogger. Frogger. Cornsoft. Microdill used to do a lot of. Dragon 32 stuff. Dragon Selection 2, which I think was a Dragon compilation Selection. of basic games and stuff. So he got a fair bit of stuff with it, too. So he's got some books, some manuals, some actual software. So it'll be interesting to see what he thinks of it when he gets going through it. And then the last one is a bit of a strange one. So there's a YouTube channel called JSW uh, Central. And the last couple of videos he's done this past week have basically been uh, games that were originally written on the original Spectrum, the ZX Spectrum, that were ported to the Dragon 32, and then we were ported because the Dragon 32 ones had some improvements, like some of the games, like uh, I can't remember if they both did, but I think Manic Miner for sure has extra levels. The original Spectrum version did not, so they were backported from the Dragon versions back to the Spectrum 128. So basically, a Spectrum game got converted to the Dragon, and then the Dragon version got enhanced, and then the Dragon version got converted back to the Spectrum 128, which enhanced it more because the 120, of course, had sound chips and stuff with it too. So he did a couple of videos here showing the the reports of reports type thing. So it's kind of went a convoluted way to go through. But I'll play a little bit of one of them. I'll play the dramatic minor just a little bit, kind of see. And the spectrum load screen, which has that kind of data in the background border. Now, this to me sounds like it's a bit off key. I don't know if the person that converted this is, knows much about music because it sounds off. Especially the chords in the background. 
I think the Coco version or the Dragon version sounds better, to be honest. The Spectrum version, I think, is off key anyway. Oh, is it? This is one thing that the Dragon version has too, where it actually tries to play the theme music in the background while the game's running too, though it's warbly. It's not trying to use an IRQ to time it properly. I think they just kind of inserted it in between, you know, moving sprites and stuff around, so it's a little bit warbly. I just find it really interesting that, you know, the original version of the game when it was first created was on a Spectrum. They converted it to a Dragon, which, uh, you know, had, you know, better sound than the original Spectrum did because the original Spectrum was one-bit sound only, kind of like the Apple II. And then uh, this Dragon, of course, it's six-bit sound. And then they added a few extra levels to it just for fun. And then it got converted back to the Spectrum 128 with, you know, an AY chip or whatever the sound chip it had in it. So uh, not too often you hear of a game getting ported to one platform. They ported back with improvements that were the second platform had. So I thought that was kind of odd. But they've got uh, both uh, Manic Miner and Jet Set Willy if you want to check out those two videos. And that's it for the news this week. And we've lost half the panel already. I bored people a lot this week. Wow. Hi. Okay. Are we are we done now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're pretty well done. I just want to remind people that if you guys want to catch the Tier City Trash Talk live at 9 p.m. Eastern on YouTube on their channel. They'll be covering 80 Micro magazine from August 1982, which actually had a fair number. I think it even advertised on the cover over 25 co color computer programs. So it was one of the ones before they split and did Hot Cocoa. Uh, but because it was the arcade game issue, it uh, you know it was fairly Cocoa centric compared to most of theirs. And also it has a, two really good interviews: the interviews of the guys doing the graphics for Tron the movie, and an interview with Leo Christopherson talking about his animation games on the you know Tier City Model One and Three, and hints about his Clendathu game that was coming up for the Cocoa. The Cocoa Tidbits made everyone hungry and left. <laughs> David Lord in the chat. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and run the outro. This concludes another episode of The Cocoa Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Cocoa Nation, visit us on the web at thecocoanation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Okay, so with that, uh, what do you got coming up next week? Next week's the ninth. Another show. Remember to spread this That's out. It. We need to add the five minutes for our contractual three, oh, three hours, hours minimum. minimum. We three we hours. Huh? <laughs> well, we can just borrow some time from the other shows. <laughs> I guess, first of all, we've got, we've got the, of course, come on Thursday, join our Discord, join in on the playing of Desert Rider for the second week. No, sorry, Space Wreck for the second week and uh, Bust, bust out, out slash Super Bust Out. 
Um, definitely need analog joysticks for uh, bust out. Don't even try that with the digitals. Only stick. Okay. Well, in that case, let's so, say yeah, goodbye. Yes. Later, All right. Time to go. See you on next week. Oh, what, what are you showing there, Patrick? In, import from Visual Basic into the Cocoa. They all come in like this. And then you have to work your way through uh, various stupid and sundry errors. So I have things to do now. <laughs> <laughs> Got a bit of work there, huh? <laughs> well, no, there's not much work. It's when you're writing, you're like substring should have, you know, comma and the string. Stupid stuff like that. But whenever I import stuff into the Cocoa, because I can do no checking in Visual Basic. The first time I get to check any letter is once it's in a cocoa. So here it is in the cocoa, and it's all broken. And That's one nice thing about BaseConide, because if you import code in that you load, it'll tell you every error as it's being found. So it syntax oh, it checks even it. when you're typing it in live. <laughs> Trust me, it did it. <laughs> but it, you only get it all at once at the end when you've imported from it. Now, of course, if I'm on my cocoa, um, shoot, if I have that, yeah, let me. Let me pull that up real quick. You're pretty quiet there, uh, Rick. I don't know if you can get close to the mic. Okay. I, I guess I've got error checking turned on. So if I go to, um, here we are in Visual Basic, and it looks really nice, but it hasn't checked against Basic 09 to see if it's okay with Basic 09. So, you know, you actually put it on the Cocoa and you get this. Yeah, you left out this, you left it. But it's all at once. So you'll get what's missing here is the 452 illegal control structure statements that should come under this because it's accidentally, you know, missed the end if because of some syntactic. But anyway, um, I didn't mean to go wandering off here, but this is what I'm going to be doing to get up my next uh, couple hours. And then we'll get up to our normal session time of five or six. Right. And I'll blame uh, it on Coco Talk. Okay. <laughs> All right. We'll try this again. Bye, everybody. <laughs> See you all next week. Bye. Or on Thursday for the Game uh, three, On Challenge. Two, 